This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too. So they're ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2. Huddersfield. Oi. Thank you. Champion Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the frame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Christopher Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Hello and welcome to the Andy Takes That Chance. Ooh, to be a Terrier, Radio Leeds. Can we say Radio Leeds, Matt? Okay, maybe unofficial. End of season review where against all odds, Neil Warnock has kept Huddersfield Town in the championship. Mm. Up until the great one walked in, it was pretty much a season of pain and misery, but being the sadists that we are, we're going to relive that as well as the good stuff at the end as well. So with my with myself, Matt Shaw, to look back over the season, warts and all from the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. Uh, we've got Johnny Gillespie, we've got Richard Kosmala, and we've got Brady down there. Uh, and from the Utu Terrier podcast and Huddersfield Examiner, Mr. Chicken and David Hartrick. And the special guest, as always, the big man between the sticks, we've got Matt Glennon from BBC West Yorkshire Sport. Right then, guys. So how this evening will go, what we'll do is we'll talk about the season. Uh, we'll have some awards to announce as we go through as well. And then we'll have a 10-minute break at the midpoint uh, where you can go get a drink. Uh, and then we'll open up to a Q&A at the end and you can fire any questions to us, uh, to whoever you like. Um, right, so what we'll do is we'll break it down into the different eras that we had with the manager. So we started with Danny Schofield. Um, it's good that this is in a single season we're talking about having several distinct eras. <laughs> I know, <laughs> all within nine months. Uh, so yeah, if we roll the clock back to just under 12 months ago, Huddersfield Town had finished third. Uh, lost the playoff final, as we know, and now faced with a new parachute paymentless future under Dean Hoyle. Uh, the club decided to cash its chips, would you say, a little bit, with 
uh, you know, six of the player final team would leave the club. We saw Pippa, Lewis O'Brien, Harry Toffolo, uh, Loney's, Daniel Sanani, Levi Colwell returned and Nabisar left on a free. Uh, there seemed to be maybe a little bit of downscaling, you would say, wouldn't you? Um, probably yeah. due in part to the parachute payments expiring, you would think. Uh, this seemed to cause Carlos Corbrand to work out later, citing a lack of ambition in, in one report. Uh, a chaotic summer when I think as fans you're, you're praying that you build on things, but quite mental really, Steve. Yeah, I think Dean Hoyle was quite open in that interview he did with Radio Leeds that there was a certain amount of investment that he felt the club needed and a certain amount of investment that he felt he could provide and the two numbers were slightly different. Um, so I think there was a little bit of, as you say, Cashing in chips. I don't think anyone was particularly shedding any tears over Pippa, weirdly, um, at the time. But obviously, O'Brien and Toffolo both going on the same day, and to, to Forrest as well, in particular, um, did sting a bit. I, I think, I'm sure you're going to come on to the, the incomings, but I think everyone sort of expected Lewis to go. I think everyone was surprised that he hadn't gone the previous year, in truth. But I think Toffolo going as well was a, a bit of a kick in the teeth, because I think some people had hoped they might, might keep him. Yeah, I I think when you look back over the summer, I don't think there was like mass panic when we were looking at the business. But when you look back and think, yeah, it's the first team players they lost. That's the problem. It's one thing losing squad players, but losing first team players like that hurts you. And, you know, I don't think their summer business was particularly bad, but there was a lot of squad business. And as I said, it was that first 11 that suffered, not the squad necessarily. And then Carlos going, which, which did blindside the club there's no no denying that and having spoken to people in the club they were yeah slightly surprised to say the very very least it was sounded like it was a bit of a mad 24 hours and then Danny was always the succession plan but he was the succession plan in a year or two years and unfortunately they had to do it this summer and I was uh, I did the the Bolton friendly because I think Steve thinks friendlies are beneath him (laughs) I was on Uh, holiday um I did the Bolton friendly and I spoke to Danny after the game sort of on and off mic and I did the Doncaster friendly as well and spoke to him and he was so enthusiastic, so up for it, trying so hard. But, you know, when we'll get into it, but I think the club let him down a bit, if I'm, if I'm honest. Well, everyone knows I played with Danny Skillfield at two clubs, so he is a mate of mine and, yeah, I think you're right with that. He should never have been given the job. He should have been given interim see how he got on with it, then there's no pressure. There was not even a press conference to announce he was the manager. It was, it was farcical anyway. So he came under, under a cloud. It was remind me of the Andy Ritchie stage when the empty chair was there, then Andy walks through the door uh, after Phil Parkinson turned it down. And we never got to the bottom of that either. Uh, and Carlos, he was right at the top of the tree. He had a very small budget, got his team to play a final, cheated by a referee, as, as we all know, because we were all there and, and saw... Moss's uh, last performance there, which I'm sure he enjoyed, but no one else did. And it was just, uh, it was a terrible time because Carlos had a way of playing, a way of training. It adapted from his ridiculous Bielsa training, murder ball, let's kill everyone in training every day and let's see if they don't get injured. He adapted in that season, no injuries hardly. He did really, really well. And then he walks out of the building. And then obviously Scoey's got to take over. And people that may not know Scoey, Scoey's a very strong-minded fella. He's got his ideas how he wants to play. He's got his idea how he wants to do things. He had ways of, yeah, the club said they had an identity, but when you don't spend any money, your identity's pretty hard to, to establish, really, with new players, new people. And, yeah, it was... I think it was a, a little bit on the quick side. 
with, in hindsight, bring in the clown that they brought in after him, then they probably should have kept going anyway, because I'm sure it wouldn't have been as big a disaster as fathering them. So it was, I think the mistakes were not bringing a little bit more first-team quality in to help Carlos, because I'm sure they sold the club quicker as well, in all honesty, if they'd have kept Carlos in place and given him some money. And it was just not how you want to start a season. You want, you want it, your pre-season to be hard, you want it to be tough, but you want it to be focused on that first game of the season. And then suddenly it's like, where's Carlos? Someone, everyone's looking around, he's not, he's not at training. And you, you've got to start again with, what, three, week, three weeks to go to the season started? Yeah, I think, it was a late finish and an early, early start, wasn't it? I think it's just recognising, like, like Dave said, how much the club didn't need a reset after Wembley, but there certainly was a rebuild given the players that had left. Um, and then add Carlos to that as well. I think maybe the club were a little bit potentially naive to how big a job there was. And then Marion Schofield with that, who by all accounts, obviously a really good coach and had been tapped up by this European team. It's just recognising actually he'd probably need a bit more support or a wiser head to help guide him through that. I think if he had that, um, and obviously alongside with a full pre-season and maybe a bit of more quality in the squad from the loans that, that came in, he probably could have done better, but I think it was, again, we saw a similar situation with, with other managers of, of the season, but I think it's just recognising how big a job that was after Wembley um, and just kind of thinking, well, they finished third last season. They, hopefully the worst case scenario finished mid-table wasn't quite how it, well, it seemed uh, to play out. And the problem is when Carlos Coburn went, everybody within the club became a coach. So Scott wasn't really allowed to make the decisions he wanted and the things that was going on in there. And it was... Well, all backs against the wall, which everyone wants the club to survive and do well. But I think there was a little bit too much uh, behind the scenes going on as well to actually let the lad get on with his job. Yeah, so just to remind you of, of those summer signings, there was uh, Will Boyle, David Kasumu, Connor Mahoney, Kyle Hudlin, Jack Radoni, Yuta Nakayama, Tino Angerin, Kane Kessler-Hayden, Tyree Simpson, Luke Mbeti and Michal Helic. Mixed bag, really, wouldn't you say? With yeah. that's an understatement. Mixed bag, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real mixed bag. I think obviously there's there's some really good ones in there. I think the, the biggest thing when you when you look back on that, and I, I know likes of Boyley isn't you know not everyone's favourite, but he was signed to play probably fewer games than he ended up playing. He was name checked by Ronnie Jepson in one of the final yeah, videos as well, was, wasn't he, for his outstanding for his, contributions? Yeah, he's a top lad, Boyley, top professional, um, but. Um, and Bete, I think, was just a bit of extra cover who ended up playing more games than I think he should have done as well. Um, and the, there's some real project players in there, but I think ultimately they put too many eggs in the Tino Andrew basket. I think they, you know, he was the big signing, the big sort of attacking impetus, bit of quality. You know, you look at that list and the attacking players, other than him, were all project players. So, yeah, I think putting so much on, on Tino. Um, turned out to be a mistake because obviously he ended up missing almost the entire season. Let's go on else. Who do you think the best signing was last summer or maybe last season? I've got our first award is the signing of the season award, which probably won't be too many surprises who wins it. Luke and any Betty. shouts? Luke and Betty. <laughs> any advance on Luke and Betty from Conor Dave? Mahoney. Conor Mahoney. For Bolton, not Huddersfield. <laughs> Better. Okay, so we put um, some voting options out online and everybody has very kindly voted uh, in fifth place was David Kasumu with 0.6%, just one vote for poor David. Uh, Thomas Vaslik. It's good to know he's a listener, though. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> 5.5% for Thomas Vaslik. Uh, third place, Joseph Hongbo with 8.5%. In second place, Jack Radona with 13.3%. 
First place with 72.3%. Undisputedly, the best signing Huddersfield made this summer is Michal Helic. So, he started off very go. slowly as well. So, yeah, he really built himself into it. I think he's done he's done exceptionally well. He, he sort of, him and Tom Lee sort of morphed into each other near the end where they were just everywhere. Every header, every time the ball came in the six-yard box, it was one of them. You couldn't decide which one headed it, kicked it, but you knew it was one of them. I've got some stats, Matt, on Michal Helic. I know you love a stat. Um, so this is in terms of the all-championship centre-backs uh, throughout last season. Michal Helic finished ninth in terms of most tackles, 10th in most interceptions, and he was the number one centre-back in the championship for clearances last year and second in, in shots blocked. So it's quite a, a quite a decent signing and a decent season, I think, from Michal Helic. It's, it's absolute madness that he was available on deadline day. And I said it at the time, when you looked at his stats for Barnsley over the previous two seasons, he was one of the top five centre-backs in the league. But it's Barnsley, though. I know it's Barnsley. You've only got to have one decent game and there's a taxi waiting for you to go But I'm not else. talking about he was Barnsley's best player. I'm saying across all centre-backs in the Championship, over the previous two years, he was in the top five, statistically. It's absolute madness that he was available on deadline day, but, but great that he was because um, uh, Town needed him after Matty Pearson got injured. Uh, I, don't know, I know he's finished second on that, Paul. Um, quite quite considerably second, but I, I would give a massive mention to Jack Rodoni as well. I think if you could almost ask his question end of next season who is the best signing this season I think Jack Rodoni would if that makes sense would would pull a lot higher on that I think we've kind of seen him develop massively over the last kind of 10 10 to 12 games and again he had a really slow start I think some people were questioning where he plays where's he going to fit is who does he replace was he a Lewis O'Brien is he kind of where's he going to fit um but I think next season we'll see continuing that trajectory for Jack Rodoni I think we'll really see how biggest signing he actually was um, in the summer just gone I think when you look at a lot of their business though there's a lot of buts you know I, I'm a bit like you and I've said it on the pod that I think Rodoni will probably get better but you look at someone like Will Boyle brilliant professional but he was signed as a defender and he's not very good at it <laughs> not at championship level and I think their business as I said before it was fine for squad business but they needed first team signings and I think when when they lost Carlos, they should have really thought, hang on, we need to bring some quality to this first team. And they stuck with their model and their recruitment model at the time and that there are reasons for doing that and that you can, you can have admiration for that. But that's where I think the club let him down a little bit because he didn't have the quality at the time. You know, Helic didn't come in till deadline day. And it was, it was always felt like a little bit of a hiding to nothing looking back. But I think players like Kasumu and Radona, they're good signings. They're going to be really good players. I know I change, I change the pronunciation every single time. Yeah. That's what I do. You've had a whole year and you still can't get it. Yeah, on our podcast, I'll just call him Rudders. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's the thing. I just think there's so much business that comes with a butt. And this summer, you know, I know we're not throwing forward to this summer, but this summer is one where their business has got to be first-team business that doesn't have caveats and buts. You like buts, do you, Dave? Yeah, there's, there's a man who's planning his trip to Amsterdam to play Ajax next season, doing some business with a butt. The last time I went to Amsterdam, I can't remember a thing after stepping off the plane, so no. We'll move on from there. Right, so I've, I've got Danny Schofield down to chat about in his nine games, but it, I don't, it feels a bit like kicking a man while he's down a little bit, doesn't well, it? We've kind of covered there's, that. There's no point, because nine games, yeah. getting thrown in the deep end and having, I say, a lot of background interference when trying to make decisions, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to say this without saying it, there was a lot of interference in team selections, everything as well, so it, it, 
it wasn't a fair it wasn't a fair ride. I'm not just saying that because my mate, anyone listens to me, no, I say exactly how I feel on a regular basis. <laughs> Never. And, and and that's it. I just felt and, and speaking to like Mike Pearson and people like that, they said there was a plan. There was a they could tell a plan, unlike obviously uh in the next man that came along who just liked to play up front like he was Brian Glover in Kez. Hmm. It was it was it, there was actually something going on there. It, there was no time to develop. We don't know. You know what I mean? It, bad it, luck as well, Matt. You think back to the Blackpool game and Hawkeye's not switched yeah. on and that's yeah. ultimately costing and Danny Schofield his job almost. making a mistake. Yeah. He doesn't have Helic basically. And you mentioned that Helic probably had two games where yeah. it wasn't great and then he was fine after that. But I think well, they were both under Danny. So It killed yeah. me as well and nearly, nearly got me sat that Blackpool game because I wasn't there for that as yeah. a way. And I mentioned the fact that the game after, I think the ball went over and I said, oh, it looks like they've put the Jorex batteries in this time. They're obviously <laughs> not Jorex batteries. And Johnny's looking at me going, Matt, I don't think you mean Jorex batteries. Mine was somewhere else. Good holiday then, yeah? <laughs> uh, right, okay. Um, what we'll do is we'll do the, a second award, which uh, Johnny's going to do. So this uh, second award is... The let me read this because it is a tricky one. So the Phil Senior Mick Wadsworth Tribute Award for the best breakthrough player at Huddersfield Town, and Johnny's going to take you through the option. This is because Phil was the only guy who actually has any time at all for Mick Wadsworth, didn't he? So yeah. So the award for best breakthrough act in reverse order we had Nick Belokopic. Yep. It's hard life. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Rodoni's not on this list, so we're fine. 3.6%. I'm not going to say his name again. Fourth was Ben Jackson at 6.6%. We had third with Etienne Kamara at 13.9%. Second, Brianna Diara at 22.3%. And number one, Jahima Headley at 53.6%. It's a quite con- considerable winner there. Hello to anyone that listens to and takes that chance podcast. I just want to give a big thanks to whoever voted me as their breakthrough player this season. It's much appreciated. I hope you have a good summer and see you all next season. Yeah, pretty comprehensive, isn't it? So a really good season for Jahimi Headley there, isn't he? Ch- uh, chicken, Stephen. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was. I went to watch Harrogate um, during the during the World Cup break, I think it was, or around that time, and um, he was obviously still there. Town had four players there at the time, and you talk to any of the locals and you ask them like, who's who stood out? All of them, Jim. Like not just like among the town players, but amongst. Harrogate Towns players the whole season. They're like, it's Jaheim. You watch the B team the past few years. He was a standout player doing exactly what you've seen him do, do for the first team. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's like a little bull, isn't he? Just, you know, you wind him up and he'll just smash through people. Durex bunny. Loves to get forward. Durex bunny, yes. That, 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 that's probably why Mark Fodding was a good idea to put him on in the 90th minute yeah. in a 2-1 up at Blackpool in a bare pit of a game and yeah. give him his, league, his championship league debut. Well, but I did love that as soon as he came on for he had his, a shot yeah uh, yeah. as soon as he came on for his debut the first thing he did was take the ball in his own half take it towards the opposition box get into the box off of 1-2 and have a shot yeah, and it's it, like yeah. that's Jaheim Headley yeah. that's what you're going to get he just forgot to get back that was a problem yeah the, I, yeah there's obviously I think he's better going forward than he is going back but you know he's, he's right at the start of he's going to be a good player he's, he's going to be a really good player, player. and it, it makes you think that left back next season even with Ruffles <laughs> going and with, with Nakayama coming back as well and with Jackson available left back's fine yeah, it's a real shame that he kind of had that bit of hiatus under Warnock where he was injured um, kind of missed a few games yeah. I think he was really getting into his stride and uh, it's one of them where I mean 10 games with Warnock a bit of advice bit in your ear could have made a massive difference to a player who's 
a little bit shy, a little bit, not not so lacking confidence, but I think a Warnock uh, for a player like Headley, if he could have had a bit more interaction with him, probably would have just helped even more. But yeah, I, I personally think, I mean, he got, he got my vote and I'm quite excited to see him develop as a few players for next next season. Right, I think that concludes the uh, the Schofield era. So thanks, Johnny. Johnny's going to sit down now and we're going to have Mac Fotheringham's number one fan is going to come and join us. Listen, Mr. <laughs> Cosy's going to come up and join us Guys, now and join in. Listen. He doesn't get too high when he wins and too low when he loses, do you, Cosy? Okay, so what we'll do before we get flying in, we'll do our third award, which is the Young Player of the Season. So the difference between this and the previous one is the previous one is the breakout specifically from the Academy or B team, whereas this is for any player technically under the age of 23 and... Mr. Hartrick. Technically under the age of 23. As of, is it 1st of September? Something like that. Is it, yeah, some rules or something. So, the young player of the season. Any guesses? Any guesses? Yeah. Well, uh, number five, David Kasumu. Kasumu's. Uh, Kasumu. Sorry. Don't get that. <laughs> your second. Three players in joint second. Uh, Brahima Diara, Jaheem Headley and Joseph Hungbo. And winner... Rudders, with 80.1% of the vote, Jack Radona, which I think, to be fair, nobody can really argue with that. Did you specifically give that one to Dave, knowing that he couldn't say Jack Radona? No, but it's an added It's worked out well, hasn't it? Dave, I'm going to throw one in here, and grenade. Ian Kamara, up until January, he would have been a strong contender. And wow, the season, how it's finished for him. What, what's your thoughts for me, yeah, That I, Leicester move, or what have you? That, well, what went I, wrong? I, think, I think it would be... Completely fair to say his agent is a very busy man who likes uh, to get on the phone and, um, yeah, I think his head was certainly turned and I don't think he was ever the same once his head was turned. I think at one point he did think that something was going to happen in January and it hasn't. He's got all the talent in the world. I know know there's a book coming here because I'm going to agree with you, I'm sure. Yeah, he's got all the talent in the world, but the problem is... Clearly, at the moment, he's got a little bit of growing up to do. I think it's a mental thing. And I think it's not just... I'm not just talking about... People will think when I'm saying that I'm talking about the transfer stuff. It's on the pitch as well. There are times when you can see him switch off. There are times... I wouldn't say he gives up, but there are times where he gives up on situations that he shouldn't do. Or, or he doesn't see them. Yes. I think some, yeah, yeah. Or, or he doesn't... There's a couple yeah, of times where the game never, passed him by and you think he's not done it out of laziness or anything no. like because I do think he is a bit you know it can be a bit languid at times the intensity is not there yeah. and especially yeah. when you need when you're relegation battle you need people up for it and you need a bit of bit of pace in the team but come on let's let's get going and you could see him sometimes counting the pigeons at the top of the ceiling you're thinking come on yeah. which is funny because for the B team he was always overly aggressive and yeah. they had to calm him down a lot because that's time. the B team so it, so it might have uh, been a bit of overcorrection but I think I think what Dave says is right and I think exactly that the switching off is what did for him in the end because he started against Burnley um, and I believe that that was sort of I believe Warner had said to Jonathan Hogg who do you want to play with and he said Kamara and Rodoni that was how that team got selected and then um, for the Birmingham game Kamara then kept his place and then he wasn't tracking back against Burnley and that was it Kazuma also got bombed out but he got back in Kamara never did I, th- I think the one thing I would say is I think there's very simple Corrections he can make, and he's going to be some player. I mean, if he just looks over his shoulder, he's going to be, he's going to improve his game by sort of five percent. He he is going to be some player, 
but yeah. I don't think it's going to be at he's, he's what is he 19 yeah it's fine yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's currently in the France under 20 squad isn't he you don't get in that squad do you if you're not a bad player so no. there we go Right, so the Fothering Amira. This is the, the fun section of the evening, isn't it? Matt's absolutely looking Strap forward in. to this. I, 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 I don't know how that man walks into a building <laughs> and someone says, you know what? He's for me. Here's three years. Here's a shitload of money. And bring Canberra You know what I mean? It, it's, it, the mind baffles. I've been in football a long time. I've played, obviously, doing this job. I've met a lot of people. I've met a lot of blaggers. And he's in my top two or three. He is absolutely a shambles. And who, from training who to else? team selection to team setup. Dan, I can't say enough because you see people getting overridden for chances. You see people not giving chances. He should have gone a month before he did, but obviously financially and Neil not being quite there as well. It, it, the mind boggles. It, it, really, it really does because I know what happened in training, obviously, because I speak to people. I know what happened, what I saw. I never rewind Oggy's interviews because I don't listen to anything back. We get the show, you move on to the next game, bang, we're on there. I, I did it twice, twice with him. It was the, the Reading game. I thought he's definitely seen something different than everyone who's ringing and everyone who's doing something. And, and just the, the things he said at times. I remember when uh, Russell went to, I've said this to you before, went to Barnsley. He goes, uh, great lad, Mormon, good luck at Barnsley. <laughs> and I thought, no, he didn't say that. And that's me second rewind. Uh, good lad, Mormon. Good luck at Barnsley. And then just left it. Why? Who says that? What human says that in professional football? I don't know. I, I, I could never get a, a handle on, you mentioned his post-match comments, I could never get a handle on Mark, because whenever I thought, oh, they've played all right there and he's going to be pleased, he'd come out and be fuming. And whenever I thought, oh, they've been shocking there, he'd come out and say, I'm really pleased with the athletes. He reads social media and he listens to podcasts oh. and he does that because he gets the tone of what we're all saying. And I think he changes from game to game. I'm not sure he, he did. Did. He, he goes in. I think, I think he did, but... George Costanza, oh. the opposite. Yeah, so just rolling back slightly, Town were initially linked with uh, David Wagner, weren't they? <laughs> Others were mentioned, like Michael Carrick, and then Matt's friend came out of nowhere talking about scaffolding. Um, <laughs> They're on decent money scaffolding. <laughs> what's, what's he talking about, this struggle? In the 80s, they were flying up in Scotland. I, think, <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't think either of those other names were ever... Ever gonna happen? They were just in the in the air. Well, Carrie got Carrie got interviewed, so I don't know what happened in that interview. So you don't know just where the ambition was. The, the better man. He walks in. There you go. <laughs> Wagner was never on. They couldn't no. have got him at that time. No. Um, but yes. Yeah, so um, Mark Fotheringham, where do we start on this? So um, I, I think a few of us at the time felt we probably needed a more experienced head coach. Um, we got the ultimate experience in the end, but it it just. He, I think he made a fairly good impression that first interview. Mm. Do you think there was the first one? Was it the pre? Was it I, the pre-home? The first, his first home. Game? I think. I think people were furious when he was appointed, mostly for not being David Wagner. And then it was like, oh, actually, seems okay. So yeah, I mean, it was an okay first impression. But then obviously, you see the Reading game, uh, which was one of the worst performances the whole season, and and then he was on to a, a hiding to nothing from there. I think. Nakayama, does he know Nakayama's name yet? I think it's after just a the Japanese left-sided centre-back. I think, I think after he? that, um, the whole game when he went on that rant, I think that was quite divisive. Some yeah. people loved it, some people hated it, and felt he was throwing people under the bus. But it was obvious, I think, sort of throughout that the players weren't having him. Basically, is, is the long and short of it. And I, I, I think the biggest thing as well on the pitch. 
I think there was a certain point where it's like you come in and you see that Rennie game and it's like, okay, he's not had long with the squad. You can't put too much of that on him. They then have that Luton no. game where there is an absolute shambles. Luke and Betty as one of the worst performances I've ever seen from an individual player, which isn't his fault. He's a kid playing his second or third professional game at that point. He shouldn't have been thrown into that situation. Um, and you're thinking, right, they need to tighten it up. They tighten it up. And then you think, right, next stage now. Come back from the World Cup. We'll see something different. Like, you, you've tightened it up. You've got through the injury crisis. Let's see something different. And we never did. We never saw any development from Is that what the game was? What for me, again, going back to coaching mentality and the, the modern way of doing things now, like, we sort of changed, even under, you know what I mean, my arch Emily Lee Clark. You know what I mean? With, with Blackie and stuff, training changed. You know what I mean? With Sam Aldice, training changed. You weren't getting run to death every single day. Every run you did had a purpose. Everything was tracked and done, and you knew why you were doing that running. And he comes and said, yeah, we've got Marbella, wherever they went. Yeah, run them into the ground. Oh, well done. That, that's, that's showing your, your tactical yeah. now that you took a team to the boiling hot weather, run them to death, and brought them back to freezing cold England again. So it was... I, I just found the, the whole... What he was saying, he tried to go to the crowd... That aren't really there. That aren't really there anymore. We used to coin it fuzzy bingo, didn't we? Because it was just all cliches, and he'd say the same same sort of thing every week, yeah. didn't he? It was big problem was there's only so many times you can sort of talk about how respected you are in Germany without somebody saying why don't you fuck off back there and also <laughs> he, kept, he also kept talking about how many playoff finals he had and some of them were relegation, relegation playoffs yeah. I yeah. went uh, I went to her to Berlin uh, in I think February time and I thought it's my mission to find someone because I'd had a good drink like who knew this guy and no one had ever heard of him but you'd think he were like the next best uh, you know, Pep Guardiola, but the thing is with Huddersfield, it reminded me a little bit of Phil, really, when he came in, Phil Hodgkinson, where I think Huddersfield public, uh, you need to get off, I think, on the right foot. And and yeah, you can say results, but we've had managers before who've delivered results and people haven't liked them. Lou McCarry, for me, is another one. So straight away, obviously, Matt knows a little bit more than me, but straight away, people had turned against him and we might come on to Sober Thomas later, but I, I find it in Huddersfield, once the crowd have turned against a player or a manager that they ain't coming back from that and they'd made the decision a long time ago and to be honest I, I, I try and always support a manager you wouldn't have had David Ragnar if I'd have been in charge yeah. I'd have kept Chris Powell on a 10 year contract I'm, I'm a backer not a sacker but it just got to a stage where you know something kind of had to change but every time it looked like we're on his way out it fluke a result I mean that QPR game when they had a, you know, I think they had about 40 shots and Josh Ruffles just pulled <laughs> Ruffles out of the game, fire yeah. it was incredible but and then his finest hour in January, I've still got my T-shirt. I was there when Florian Cambieri scored, yeah, at Preston. And he's run to well, the dugout kicked, and he's jumped he in his up, arms, Matt, and it just showed the bomb between well, players kicked, and manager that you don't think were there, well, mate. Well, then he kicked the ball out of play three times with his wrong foot. Yeah. Cambieri, and he kept running Come. to areas you think... And the Sheffield, <laughs> I have a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans yeah. going my salon. Who are they and they laughed. About? They laughed when he came in and said he's the worst Cambieri. player I've ever seen. Florian Cambieri. I think the thing for me, we just kept... We just never offered anything going forward. And yeah, they weren't armed with the uh, the greatest weapons, but the Sorba Thomas situation was a very odd one. Uh, yeah. I know the crowd were a big, maybe, factor in, in going, but they'd really turned against him. And God, town, town have wingers that I, the crowd ate, I think, and then they've gone, they've gone. I think part of that was, I mean, let's be honest, 90% of it was Fotheringham didn't like him. Let me tell the story, Steve. Tell the story, David. I can tell you one of the things... He watched Sorba Thomas jump down three, I think it was like three steps, and he was wearing flip-flops, and he gave him a lecture about you, you, how can I go to the fans and tell them if you injure yourself? 
you've got to think about being a professional footballer 24-7. And you just think, what are you giving us in the dugout that a spicy pepper army wouldn't? Because there was no <laughs> level of coaching. He was just pissing people off left, right and centre and stuff like that. You know, you've got to judge people's character. And Sorba Thomas is not somebody... I, I've spoke to him a couple of times, but I've never I've really spent any time with him. But even I know, it, I don't think he's somebody you, you sort of get right on his back and ride really hard to get the best yeah. out of him. He's, he just doesn't, he's just not that sort of personality. So how he couldn't see that, I've you, no you idea. You can't treat everyone the same way. Even Ferguson knew that you had to treat Cantona like Cantona. You know, you had to make exceptions for him. And I know Saw was a very divisive figure at the moment, but we all know that on his day, he can be town's best player. And you've got to do what you can. The, the, the fact that he gave up on him so quickly, several months into his reign, rather than trying to find a way to get the best out of Sorber is a bit of an indictment. He was right about Matty Pearson, though. He kept mentioning Matty Pearson all the time, but whether Matty Pearson had to give the 110% that way, it's given one up under... <laughs> You know, Fotheringham, I don't know, and he never really had him. I, I, know, I know he scores a lot of goals, but again, I think it speaks to the issues under Fotheringham <laughs> that he looked at that team who couldn't score if you let him play 10 games back-to-back on, on a single evening, and you think, yeah, Matty Pearson's going to be the answer to this. This, this is going to crack things wide open in the final third. I was still having the faith, maybe I need to see a doctor, but that, that Preston North End game, I know we're only cup game and he made a lot of changes, but the fact that the... Are we, I mean, they made a lot of changes. Are we just sunk there? We gave it away. And it was a really deflating coming out of that ground. And then the week after the whole game where that, that was a real yeah. body blow, a huge blow that because all were poor and but we just get sat back. I think we were nearly in River Umber, weren't we, at the end? We were that far deep. And and then the week after I went to Coventry, not many did. Honestly, the way followings, how bad they were under Fotheringham. But the Coventry, that was the one, Matt, where I think you were mentioned there. But it was the first time, I've given a bit of pitch where I'd, he was really upbeat after that. He gave a strip. I think he attacked a few players or a few things, but I, I just walked away thinking, man, I just don't, I can't agree with this. Even, I think obviously you'd seasoned it before. And from that moment, that Coventry game, I thought, that's when we should have changed I, it, maybe I, after Preston. I, I think, but, going back to one of your early points, though, as somebody obviously who's played, and I had a little spell where, you know what I mean, I didn't have the full back of the crowd when I did tell a few people to go and fuck themselves. So it didn't go down very well at a game. But I think there is a comeback. I think if you work hard, get your head down and prove that you are there for this shirt, regardless of some bad form, even a bad comment or two, especially with social media now, you can easily make a mistake. And I, I think people are forgiving if they see, regardless of what's going on behind the scenes, anything, that you're doing the best you can possibly can every single time you go out there. I just think when you're down tools because you're a bit pissed with the manager, I think that's when fans go, not being funny, mate, you're still getting paid, we're still coming to see you. And you still should be given 100% every single week, regardless if, you know what I mean, your, your manager's not uh, giving you the full respect you deserve. Ultimately, it's, it's all results, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I put up with it for a certain amount of time and sort of held fire a few times because I worked out the points per game that Town needed at the, point, the time he was appointed to get to 50 points and stay up. And for quite a while, particularly after those wins over just after Christmas, he was actually tracking just about on it or slightly ahead or just slightly behind, but pretty much on it. But then obviously January, February, it drops off and he was miles off it. And it was like, you, you are, particularly after 
losing against, uh, sorry, drawing against Blackpool when they'd gone ahead twice. Against ten men and against lost their ten two best men players was 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 kind of unforgivable, and and I think was the clearest indication we could have got that like yeah he isn't going to turn them around to the degree that is required. Just before that as well, he got the January transfer window as well, didn't he? And we described the summer one as a mixed bag. This is this is a bag of shit. This one isn't <laughs> it? The January window. It's, you've got. Florian Camberi, who they actually had him training with him for two months and still decided to sign him, which was miraculous. But he'd worked with him before, hadn't he? He, was, he, was, he thought he, he could was, get the best out of him. Well, my boss is Dom Housen, who, who covered Sheffield Wednesday last year, and he had his, he's a town fan, and he had his head in his hands that they were considering signing Camberi. Right, so we have Florian Camberi, Anthony Knockhart, another one. Sorry, Dave, it just, yeah. Dave, it just didn't work out for your, uh, for your favourite man. Do not say a word against that man in this arena. No, it didn't work out. I think there were, I got, there were personal reasons why it didn't work out, and I think uh, some footballing ones as yeah, well. It, yeah, there were you one can't or two really criticise ones. There were there were personal reasons. I I just don't think Neil Warnock is the manager for Anthony Knockout. Put it that way. But mm. also, Warnock is is very big, has always been very big on if a player has an issue or has an issue with their family or whatever it might be he's always go and sort that out take care yeah. of that the football doesn't matter and I think that's basically what happened with, with Knockout it happens sometimes it is what it is Matt Lowton as well Matt Lowton sort of six months well 12 months early was Premier League well, right back and then he's, you know, he, he, he can, fell off a cliff it was like a lemon he fell I, right off a cliff tell you, didn't he Town played Burnley in the FA Cup last year and I thought he was rubbish. Yeah. And then he came in and he did all right, didn't he? For they, a put him left, they put him left back though, didn't they? He, did he right. just couldn't then, handle it. And then he was shocking. There was multiple games in a row where he was at fault for the goals. In the air, yeah. Really bad. Really bad. Start. But I always say he, he's a right back and they put him left back, but he's in his mid-30s. You should Sh- still be able to tackle someone. should know where to You stand. should still know where your man's are. We're talking about looking over your shoulder come out at a young age. When you're in your 30s and you've been a Premier League footballer, you still can have a look where you manage, regardless on the other side. I just think he was just, yeah. It, I don't know if he was already retired, and he just came to get a bit just, more. But it was to, just, it just didn't work, did it? To, to be fair to him, I know I'm very critical of him. To be fair to him, I think he's played about two games in the last two or three years. So, you know, it is again. Yeah, but there again, but he, but he was rubbish. There again, you've got to say if you're using that as the excuse, you've got to say, well, why, why sign have, him? Why sign him? Uh, just to round up the, the we got Tom, Thomas yeah, Thomas Vatslick came in um, started off quite well apart from this, the media team killing him with that video <laughs> of his, uh, his gammy leg <laughs> then uh, yeah he, he did alright he did he, about as mobile as I am right now and say I can't move but yeah, I think I, I think the experience who came in Blockovich did well that Birmingham game it was superb you know I mean set the goal up as well and he made some big he made a couple of decent saves then he let eight goals in in two games you're thinking, Ugh. and I, I think him, it was steady. He didn't do anything spectacular. He had one man of the match performance against Blackburn. And I think, yeah, he was steady without being fantastic. But you're never going to sign a decent keeper on a contract when you've got Lee Nichols coming back because you know you ain't playing because obviously Nichols is the top keeper in the championship. So I think it was very hard for anyone to go, right, you can come, but as soon as Lee's shoulder's all right, then you are going to be watching football again. Yeah. Joseph Hungbo, though, came in and, wow, I, honestly, it just makes me smile. Uh, I just remember that interview we did with the club. I'm all about entertaining. I thought, wow, this is a confident guy coming into a team that is on its ass. And I just thought, God, stuff like that's going to come back to haunt you, mate. But I will really, I'm obviously coming to Warnock later, but amazing impact straight away, one of that Birmingham game. And then 
he disappeared out of Warnock's planning and uh, I thought, does he do enough kind of tracking back? But Warnock's just a master, isn't he? And he brought him back at the end and got the best out of him. And I, he'd be someone I'd really love to see. Uh, you never know with wingers, do you? So, and plus, when they're playing for their contracts, I'd... That'll go to Kamara later on, but yeah. it, Kongbo had come from Ross County, which is the end of the world, then you fall off it, and Ross County's there in Scotland. That's where I scored my goal. There you go, because there's something for you. So coming down to Huddersfield, he is going to be very enthusiastic, but I, I like him, and I don't think he was lazy. I thought he was quite strong. I thought he was physical. I thought he got in people's faces. He scored some great goals. But as you say, we, we can't really argue with what Warnock did. No. The, the only thing that kept Hungbo out was Karoma was much better than anyone expected, particularly defensively. I, I thought Karoma was absolutely fantastic towards the end of the season. I know we're going to talk about him later. But um, yeah, Hungbo, I think using him as sort of an impact sub and then occasionally using him in certain games was, was the right move. And Mr Warnock did say he's not on very much money, so he is someone maybe town can afford in going into the next season. I'd, I'd love them to sign. And then I remember refreshing my Twitter feed on Saturday morning thinking, surely we've finished our business. And the beautiful, gorgeous man that is Martin Wagon appeared, which uh, every other fan there uh, were telling us how good he was going to be. And uh, you know what? I was so drunk that Norwich game, which <laughs> I, I thought, what a lob, what a goal. That is incredible. Like, And I watched it two days later sober. I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, that's probably one of the biggest own goals that we've ever seen but he ran and he worked but again just like Lowe yeah. mate he was at the end of his he, career he was, he was there as cover for Wardy because Wardy was injured um, from from what I hear Waggon was actually brilliant in the dressing room as yeah. well to be he's, fair he's a good lad yeah like really really professional but can also have a laugh he was apparently he was great for that dressing room so fine fine should have brought Coco the Clown in there that would have been cheaper yeah there's but, someone yeah, here that, there's someone here I don't even know Matt is, is this definitely did he we say Jordan Smith I'll tell you John Smith is that I'll, Forest keeper no, I'll speak to yeah. his goalkeeper yeah. coach Gavin Ward who was with him there and again like Waghorn but only doesn't play just a great lad great trainer very hard to beat in training not a first team keeper and just teams like to have quality third choice second choice keepers to make sure that the quality in training is right there and Smith was just a, a nice cheap option because they had young lads who were never going never gonna to play maybe not up to it in training as well and when you want to keep a nice sharp training session he's uh, one of the lads you want in there that's good he didn't get a job where you don't do any work but you just make everyone laugh I'll, uh, they, they, they knew he was going to be going to play, but, play but, yeah, well. Clem just wanted yeah. another trainer in there so, and yeah that's what Jordan Smith is and Sauber left us uh, not to a real rival but obviously Blackburn it was I think it was at the point no return really wanted with obviously fathering what you've said there and I think the crowd had, had like make the mind up and yeah, he went across to where uh, Ewood Park when Sumbo came in, but where he belongs. Oof. It's not no, about to come so back. Couple, I think he said a few things. I think there's a way back for Sober Thomas. Yeah. I think he can come back and I think he can smash it in pre-season and get going again. He's young, well he's not that young, but naive with his comments. I think that was more geared towards Fotheringham than it was towards Huddersfield Town to tell the truth. I think he was having yeah. a dig, a dig at a, a useless manager, stroke coach, stroke whatever the hell he was. And I think it was more geared towards him. And I'd like to see him come back with a, a proper manager who's not, you know what I mean, off play days. And I think, and, I think over the you know course... I mean, and get back to his top form again. His heart's in the right place, Sober, but he has come from non-league ultimately. He was in non-league until his early 20s and occasionally a little bit of that 
pokes through. But his, his heart's in the right place, I think, sort of. Steve, what did you think of that World Cup thing? Because that seemed to be held against him. And I didn't see a right lot long wrong oh, with it. The because, idea that he, yeah, he was plays for his, by the World Cup. Nonsense. He plays for his country and he, he wants his country to be oh, another country. He got, he got, got, he got, he got seven assists before he went to the World Cup. No, I, me I meant in that comment, though. That he really riled everyone up. Comment? To me, that, that were finished when he said that England, I'd love it, kind of, if I be... What comment? Love to no, be no, England. What, a Welshman would love to be England. Yeah, Shock horror. Yeah, obviously, the out, the out, what's the, what's the, the outrage and the hatred? That I, I think that's I'll where it kind of become that. a no. bollocks to that. I, 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 think, I think the comment of me and my agent have spoken about my No, I don't steps. mean that, Matt, but I meant him from like his disappearance sort of should sound the fans, if they were against him then, it were like, right, more obviously most people are English to support or it's like, right, that, that says, completely passed me by, Cosy. Right. That's, I, and it's bollocks. You need like, to get Instagram, Of course he wants to be England. He's playing for his country at the World Cup. Of course he wants to fucking... To be fair, fair, you know what, Steve, to, I genuinely didn't think anyone would get angrier than Matt Glennon when you mentioned Fotheringham's name. There's like a shade of red every time you mention his name. He's, yeah, we to, Stephen's we to, told that Even there. though we do get paid to go <laughs> watch these games, don't make it any easier. It's another shade gone on top there, but yeah. But Stephen's uh, topped it off there. With, uh, no, I, I think we're so... <laughs> but he's right. I was just going to say on Sober Thomas, you know, I, I'm, I'm with Matt. I do think there is a way back. I think he's a very, very good player. I think he has to be managed a certain way, it would be fair to say. And I think if he gets the right manager, then he's a very, very talented player to just let walk out of your football club, really. And as for that comment, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Cosy, that comment completely passed me by as well. But, you know, he wants to hear what I say about the Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so I think I. what we'll do is we'll move on to the fourth award that we've got. We've got the low point of the season, and I think it's probably timed quite well. Uh, Cosy, I'll give this over to you, and you can uh, take us through the low point. This is a top 20, not top yeah, five. Yeah, I've got to say it's been proper narrow down from 20 to five, so what about this one? Uh, yeah, number five, Rolando Arons. Oh, what, it, nearly three years of payments to this legend. Go Another Steve Bruce, it were like, uh, people tell us Mick Wadsworth were going to be good. One is Steve Bruce said they were going to be good. Going off Arrogate Town, never be seen <laughs> again, 1.6%. Did anyone go to that Arrogate game? Oh, I'm up. Yeah, I hope you got a selfie, man. Blackpool home defeat to Hawkeye uh, on that awful Sunday, number four. That finished Danny Schofield off 9%. Number three, the 1-0 defeat at Wigan, 16.9%. Uh, Number two, losing 4-0 to Coventry and doubting Neil Warnock. Oh, don't look at my Twitter feed in March. Uh, that was 27.1%. But the winner, uh, oh God, I bet there were so many of us there. Blackpool away, losing the lead twice to 10 men, 40.4%. Before I mentioned that, before that game, there were loads of Sheffield Wednesday fans heading to Fleetwood telling us that they were already promoted uh, in this Manchester bar. And I was saying, you never know in football and I'd love to meet them again. But that Blackpool game, I, a lot of people mention the Wigan game as like the end, the end of, and of it. But it was incredible drama. That I mean, uh, what a goal from Josh Caroma, who just stood there to me, just turn around to everyone, everyone's just going nuts, and it's almost like we've got out of jail there against ten men. It kind of felt like it was a message to the crowd, and then all of a sudden, oh, I think when it Headley that dived in, and then Lawton missed, or Headley, or Tom Lee's, God, it was horrible. I slightly disagree with that. I think we're going to because Chico came and you thought, right, here we go. It is a Chico, yes, whatever. Yeah, comes in <laughs> and like we all like him, lower fella, and he, he is, seems a great fella apart from the fact he's disappeared now. But uh, the way he settled the team that day against the crappy Wigan, that was a long four hours of radio. 
a oh, long, yeah. long day. And I just thought, come on, son, go after them. Go make a name for yourself. And I just thought that was horrendous. Whereas Blackpool at least had some excitement and something happened. The crowd were up for it. There was a lot of town fans there. And yes, it showed Fotheringham for the man he is because he brought, what, three, four subs on in the, in the last stages where when we get onto Warren, we'll find that sometimes he never made a sub and still got the result. So with that group but, of five games, wasn't there? I think it started with QPR, didn't it? And then we knew we had to get a good all. And to me, the Blackpool one was kind of... Uh, the one that ended, but just just what I want to kind of ask you, Stephen, because you touched on kind of struggling kind of a bit with your mental health this season. And it got to a point for me where I, I were kind of missing games. I would go to Scarborough. I was doing something that was just trying to get a bit of positivity kind of into my life on a Saturday. And I found it really difficult to deal with, to be honest with you. Some of the stuff that the crowd were, were shit, were going down, the abuse that the players got, you know, we... It was it was absolutely toxic, mate, and I could kind of escape from it uh, on a Saturday. But you guys have got to report on it, go to the games, kind of deal with it. I'm damn sure your inboxes were getting, you know, what's going on with Dean Oil, etc. But how 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 much does it take out of you as kind of reporters that this kind of stuff? Because we all want town winning, but it got to a stage where I just kind of had to walk away from it from a few games because it was doing my mental health no good. Yeah, it's it's difficult when it's. <laughs> It's difficult to write when the team is winning every week because you run out of things saying it's even more difficult when the team is losing every week because you run out of things to say and everyone's miserable. <laughs> so, um, but no, it, it is it is rough. You go into the club, I go to the work, work at the training ground if I've had a press conference, I'll stick around for a few hours and work at the, the office there. Um, and obviously when you're on a losing streak, spirits are down, you know, you see people around the training ground and it's 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 unpleasant to be through, um, to be honest. And for me, I think that the difficulty is that when things are bad, you inevitably get more fans sort of on Twitter um, and on email, particularly with things happening off the pitch as well, coming out and saying like, why aren't you reporting on this? Why aren't you writing about that? Why aren't you reporting about this? It's like, because there's now to say at this stage, but that's when you get to be honest, the dickheads come out is when things are bad. And that's what gets me down more than anything. I, I don't, I can live with the stuff on the pitch, but it's, it's when that, that turns into toxicity among the fans, that's, that's when it starts affecting me. I let seven in against Grimsby Town ones of Halifax in the last year of my career. That really hurt. Yeah, so things like that are, are more painful. You just gotta take it where it is, because when things aren't going right, everyone has, has their opinion. You have people who want to go that way, people want to go that way, there's people in the middle. And that's one of the main reasons I enjoy the job that I do. Because I love everyone's opinions, but it's right up there and it's, oh my God, everyone wants hanging. So everyone should be given a knighthood. It's, and you get the in-betweens as well. And for, for me, it, it, it doesn't bother me at all. It annoys me when I see, you know what I mean, charlatans getting jobs that shouldn't get jobs and, and laughing again, isn't it? No, no, no names, no <laughs> names, no names. But uh, for me, it's when the, the fans are sort of getting cheated out what they're paying the money for to watch every week. And it's not always the player's fault. It's not always the manager's fault. Sometimes the culmination of things. But ultimately, as long as you keep it in the barriers of, you know what I mean, we're not chucking out death threats, things like that. Everyone's allowed their opinion and they can say what they want. You've just got to realise that everyone is different. And me and you'll watch a game, we'll see a very different thing, as we spoke about many a time. And, and, and for me, that's, that's, the, that's the way it is. You've got to take the rough with the smooth. I think it hit everyone, didn't it? Because there were, th I think, three weeks in a row we didn't do a podcast, did we? And it wasn't because we didn't have the time. It was because we just didn't want to. 
And I thought the best thing during that period is not one person came to us and went, are you doing a podcast this week? It's like everyone just knew. It's just like, there's just no point talking about this nonsense again and again. Yeah, Brady still did his. Yeah, Brady's getting drunk and aggressive down there. It's, it's that time of night. Um, <laughs> but what we'll do, I think, I think it's a good time to take a break now, isn't it? We'll, so if you want to get get to the bar and get a couple of drinks in, and we'll start again in about 10 minutes or so. What we talk, Who are we talking about next? We are talking about someone special next, are we? Me? No. Uh. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, guys, thank you very much. Uh, welcome back to part two. And finally, it starts to get a little bit more fun, doesn't it? Because uh, we've got Brady joining us. So, uh, hello that, to that's Brady. That's not why it's more fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, it was fun because Neil Warnock arrived, didn't he, on his uh, on his steed? Um, he, he was he was are pretty you much the- Ronnie Jepsen a steed, <laughs> <laughs> a noble steed. Just but, carries him around. And but, like it, a little so he, he came, he got the job, which was amazing. And I went down to speak to Ronnie because obviously Ronnie was assistant to Stan Turner when I when I was there. Them fun times. And uh, so I'm chatting to Ronnie, and and he comes over, Neil. I don't I don't know him. You know what I mean? So we shake hands and I had a 10 minute conversation with him and it was like a breath of fresh air. He just said, he, he spoke to Vaslik and said, are you all right? And the goal coach says, I'm not sure. He said, well, fuck you then, you're not training. And that's, you're not playing. Blocker pitch comes in, does really well, the Birmingham game. Obviously Vaslik comes back in through his experience, but it was just no nonsense again. It's like, if you want to play for me, then play. I rang, he said, I rang Danny Ward and said, are you fit? Yes. Because I have this thing about physios as well. They're a bit overprotective at times. You know your body. You know what it's going to do, what it can't do. Yes, hamstrings, things like that, you've got to be careful. But mainly, you know yourself, especially in your 30s. Can I get through 90 minutes? Danny Ward said yes. No, I can't right now. Thank you. The shake of the head. I think it was that me or you. Uh, I imagine in a circumstance like that as well, a player like Danny Ward wants to play and he's like, well, if I get injured, I get injured, but I want to give yeah, it but, a go. Yeah, but if you ask the physio, they'll say no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's, that's the problem, whereas Warnock's just gone straight over the head. Do you want to play? Also, yeah. uh, Helic hadn't played for a, few, a couple of weeks. He asked him, so you can do a job. I'll do a job. They all had a great day. And it was a fantastic first game. You know, and I just felt... Yeah, regardless of what happened to Burnley, which I didn't agree with the setup there, I thought he got that wrong, but it doesn't matter because ultimately they got there. But just that 10 minute conversation of lack of bullshit, which I'd listened to with Fotheringham for a few months. You know what I mean? Again, (laughs) it was just great to listen. I care about winning. I don't give a shit what's happening in training because training doesn't matter. You don't win anything in training. You know what I mean? You might win a fiver off your, your teammate for goals. 
but it's match day. All about match day. And we're not against that. And what you could see as well when he came in, and we'll, we'll talk about the first uh, first uh, press conference that he did, you could see him initially always, it, the little things he was doing, trying to lighten the mood of everybody, wasn't he? He was trying to build yeah. confidence and make people smile. And he could just see, he was like a puppet master, just pulling the right strings all Ooh, the time. So clever. He was just so casual. And I think that was sort of the, the first thing. And I'm sure that went across the players as well. You'd ask him, could, do you think you can stay, keep town up? And he's like, oh, basically like, don't know, but we'll give it a go. Like, and it's going to be difficult, but, but, but we'll try. And I think that was really canny to come in straight away and just be like, well, I've got nothing to lose here, really. Um, and I think that, and, and Matt could probably speak to this, but it sounds like you just made it fun for the players again. And that must go such a long way in terms of confidence. And Yeah, the, the training ground changed on day one. It changed on day one because the intensity levels were up there. There was a clear plan. And... You know, if people say about footballers, not always the brightest in the world. Not quite as uh, true as it used to be uh, back in my day. But you've got to make it clear. You've got to make it plain. You've got 15 games. You cannot be coming in with the world's biggest tactics board and saying, you're doing this, you're doing that, and map out 95 minutes of football. Because for one, you switch off in the first five or six minutes anyway. So it, it, it's not always going to get through. But he's got a tried and trusted measure. And he's not... The Neanderthal people think he is of. He'll come in, shout and scream, booth you go and hold the kettle and that'll warm your hands up. That kind of video that we've all, we've all seen back in the day. He's got a way of doing things. It's his way of doing things and it works. And hence the promotions that he's had in his career. I've, I've never seen anything like that press conference either. You know, it, it, was, it was basically, it was over an hour. I think it was an hour and 15 minutes. It was meant to be, it was nominally a pre-match press conference, by the way. Um, I think every national sense of one, there were journalists there that I've never seen come to Huddersfield before. I've never seen that press room so full. I think I was the only person who actually asked any questions about the game at the weekend uh, and was asking about injuries and things. I thought, that's my role here is asking, is, is anyone going to miss out injured? But it was, I, I'm sure everyone watched it. And I think the version of the club put out even snipped 15 minutes off the end because it was like, all right. With the, I think it devolved into um, talking about having the groanies in New York and watching jazz. Um, and it was just so much more, you sort of got the sense, we knew this when Bournemouth was appointed. Even if they go down, it's going to be fun now. And that was such a, I know that was a weight off my shoulders. I'm sure it was a weight off, off everyone here as well. Yeah, I mean, from the fan perspective, um, you know, like um, chatting to my friends, like how exciting that was when he was announced because it kind of, you know, came out of the blue. And um, this kind of summed up the season. Like we've, we, obviously it's finished amazing now, but how down everyone was and I, we don't need to go over it. But, you know, they announced that it was going to be live streamed and like we were all like, oh, we're going to watch this, so we're going to watch this. And in how the season had gone so far in typical town fashion. It was 15 minutes late. They started the live stream and they had to cut it off after uh, two minutes because it wasn't working. So it's like, oh, what is going to go right? But that press conference, it was incredible. I mean, like, like you say, it just, it just made everything fun. And to be honest, you talked about him being in the jazz club and having Negronis and I'd rather hear that because town was shit, you know? You, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly. And, and like, it took me a little bit of time and Dave, Dave can confirm this took me a little bit of time to get used to him because I think you have to sort of learn how each, man how each manager communicates and what sort of questions they're going to respond to. And I learned quite early on, if you ask Warnock a tactical question, there's a better than 50-50 chance he's just going to answer it with an anecdote about something that happened 20 years ago. So there's no point. Um, whereas Carlos, I used to ask him tactical questions just because I wanted to know. And it's like, no one's going to read this, but I want to know. <laughs> but I learned 
with Warnock, there's a certain way you have to a- approach things with him. And, and it was really, really enjoyable for me, sort of getting used to him and, and getting to know him a little bit. The other thing is, I think, let's have it right, town were dead and buried. Yeah, absolutely. They were, they were, they were dead and buried. And I think you've got to give the club a little bit of credit. We've, we've kicked them for the last two. They went and did the only thing possible to keep them up, I think. Uh, you know, we said it on our podcast. I don't, I don't think there's anybody else who would have been able to do what he did. I mean, it was a bigger comeback than your hair in lockdown. <laughs> but it was... It's not my hair, but yes. Yeah. But... And I think being coming from that position afforded him uh, a little bit of a little bit of relaxation, to be honest with you, because he was really relaxed despite the pressure. Even after Burnley and Coventry, he never really looked like he was really feeling it. He was just trying to do what he could do. And I think what Matt said is probably the most pertinent point. With Warnock, it's all about the match day. It's all about that ga- that game. And I think the way Town had to approach with that run of fixtures from where they were is to just set up from game to game. There was no time for philosophies or structures or frameworks or anything like that. It was time to just do what needed to be done to get a result from and week to week. Also, talking about, say, we come from managers who know what they're doing and not. What the lads are doing now when they've got this time off? Well, they've got four days off, five days off. I mean, the, the thing with, with the young coach, I'm not talking about Fotheringham right now, I'm talking in general... The obsession with being at the training ground 24-7, morning session, technical session, video session, everything else session, go home at five o'clock, you know what I mean? It would have killed me because I used to watch Quinty at two o'clock with Stan Turner, <laughs> would be home that early. But it, it was, it, it's not an obsession. We work hard, we do what we need to do, get home. It's now two-thirds of the season through, you don't need to be at 24-7, go and relax, go and see your family, when we come back next time, make sure you're refreshed, ready, because, like we're saying, it's about match day, not about endless hours at the training ground. And, and you're not going to get them any more fit, even if you do work them into the ground at that point this season, are you? Well, no, because they've had five days running in Marbella, yeah, so you don't need exactly. to run anymore. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, I think, though, that it, it, he obviously is this great man-manager, this great motivator, and that is the main thing about Neil Warnock, obviously. But I think, I think tactically he does get overlooked sometimes because he does certain things that like no other manager in the championship does. I remember a couple of years ago when Carlos was doing his man-to-man thing that he inherited from Bielsa and it was getting massive plaudits for that and oh isn't this interesting first half of his first season that is not the second half. Um, The only other manager in the league that was doing that was Neil Warnock at Middlesbrough. So he does have the you know he has learned and picked up these things over 40 years and I think the only person who seriously calls him a dinosaur is himself at this point but and Sheffield Wednesday fans and Sheffield Wednesday and fans. Swansea fans <laughs> Bristol City but he he will use innovative stuff he uses stuff that's up to the minute and he more often than not got it right than got it wrong uh, and- putting the players in the right places through the yeah, right thing exactly. and motivate them into doing what they needed to do and you could see it and you, you talk about like tactical the second half of games was so different the first that Middlesbrough <laughs> game I know uh, Ruffles gets his little bit a lot with a couple of rebounds but the fact he's in that position to run there anyway when they've sat back as much as they haven't it, it's, it's you know what I mean it's crazy to think he's that much confidence in his first half 45 that we're probably not going to concede if we do we're still going to get two in the second half because I know what we're going to do. They don't know what I'm going to do. They don't think I'm going to send this group of underachievers out there. 
And I, I said all the way through the season, Town had the players, they're just not the right person. And you could see that with your Radoni things and, 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 and other players, you thought, where, where, where's he been? Well, he was probably at left-back for half of it when he's a, he's a right-winger. So it, it's putting the right people in the right places, giving them clear instructions and enjoying it. Ronnie's great as well. You know what I mean? Ronnie can't be overlooked in all this. He's always smiling. He's got that big moon head of his there as well. And, he, and, and he's brilliant. And he's always lively. He's very, very aggressive. Very aggressive. But in a fun way, he will, in training, do anything. He'll run right through you and he's making his... His, his points and stuff like that, but you will be left in no uncertain terms what, you, what you're supposed to do, and, and that's what you want as a player. And if you're not going to be in his squad, you also know that as well, so you know it's not me today, it might be next week, and you're not left wondering at uh, one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, am I going to be in the squad today? Was it a waste of time going to bed at nine o'clock? You already know. There was just so much more freedom about them in attack, and I think that boiled down to a really simple instruction and... and He's, he's talked about this and Radoni's talked about this as well. Just do what you do well. Yeah. And, and if it doesn't work, fine, just try it again. I don't care, just try it again. And he, he said, and yeah, Headley said that, Radoni said that, and you could see the players were doing that. And again, the confidence that they take from that, where it's like, oh, I'm doing what I do well, and it's working. And then suddenly everyone sort of comes to life and starts to believe actually we can win we're good footballers we're championship footballers we can win games I think the other thing is don't underestimate the power of just talking to players because I don't think so I'm going to use his name again Matt I don't think Mark Fothering was very good at it we talked at people exactly. and, and, that's, and that's not just Mark Fothering that is a that is a thing that's sort of creeping through with young coaches yeah. now it's it's I can, what, how big a word can I use to describe a 4-4-2 you know what I mean how can a make things really complicated where I sound really intelligent yeah. to everyone else whereas he just talks to you like a bloke in the pub exactly. and then you get on with it and I think you know there was we've heard anecdotally stories about just sitting in the gym for three hours chatting to players and that sort of thing you know it's completely valuable in terms of relaxing them in terms of taking the sting out of what was an awful position an awful position you know like I say this, this comeback is unprecedented Steve ran the stats on it and it's just in a literal sense it's never happened before yeah I think um, I could only go back 30 years that's as far as my spreadsheet goes but from the position town we're in after the Coventry game no second tier side had survived from that position in 30 years and I suspect probably no side has ever survived from that position since three points for a win was introduced yeah um, Matt I was just going to ask you because obviously you're, you're the ex-player here you know for me from a fan perspective I think it was just Warnock gave those players belief that Steve touched on there the confidence but um, also I think he had the reputation whereas obviously you look at Schofield and, and Fotheringham and they didn't have that how important is that as a, as a player to be given that belief by the manager does it actually you know we saw how good the results were is that a big part of it in the first few weeks yes and then if you've got the, the skills to actually make people buy into what you're doing Yes. If you're a big name, you walk through the door, then everyone realises, wow, you're clueless. That'll get, that'll get, that will get, you know I mean, seen quite, quite early on. But when you've got Warnock tried, tested, done everything there, he comes in, you think, I've only watched you on TV before. Like Radoni, people I've never met before, never worked, just heard stories, seen YouTube crap and all that. The thing he's come in, he's actually speaking to me like a human being and like a professional footballer, and he's given me the respect. He knows who I am. He knows what I'm doing, and you, that 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 goes a hell of a long way because you think chess comes out, you're on your toes. Bloody hell! This this legend of of football, as much as some people 
you know I mean, don't like him, more people do like him. It's it's just that instant respect that he gives you as well. You know who he is. You know his name when he comes in. You know, when Mark Fodden comes in, it took me a week and a half to remember his name. You know what I mean? It, it was it was like that. And I've seen that at many clubs before. You're thinking, wow, I have to Google him again. It's like Huddersfield Town second second year in the Premier League. When I'm Googling these plays, thinking, is he actually a footballer? Well, I'm talking obviously dear Carbies and people like that. And Warnock just instantly walks in, Ronnie walks in, and it's like your two best mates have walked straight in the change room. But your two best mates who have had seven championship promotions and have been a Premier League manager and has come in and, and knows your first name and starts speaking to you. And I'm sure even before he walked in, every one of those players will have had messages from someone they know or have played with before who said, oh, you're going to fucking love playing for well, me. Danny Ward, he'll be in the middle of the thing <laughs> going, Danny I'm, I'm playing been. next week. <laughs> I don't know about you, <laughs> but, lads, but I'm back in the I team. I mean, because I had five journalists messaging me who had not spoken to for years saying, you're going to love this. Mm. <laughs> so the, I'm sure the players did as well. I've got, I've got a quick question, and that was back-to-back 4-0 defeats under Neil Warnock. Burnley and Coventry, honestly, hands on the table. Did you think we were gone at that point? After Coventry, yeah. I said as much. I said they were dead and buried. No chance. For the reason that Dave's pointed out, because no team had ever survived in that position before. And and it, it the thing with the, the Coventry game, the Burnley game, you sort of expected it, because Burnley were going to be champions. And I even sort of just, like, who cares about this game? doesn't matter. I think even Warnock sort of treated it that way. He said, unless we lose 6-0, I'm not asked. But... The Coventry game, I actually didn't even think they played that badly. That's the thing. They actually, well, it was just one mistake by Halleck. By Halleck. And then it just the game changed, which was really and, weird. And that, that, was, that was almost worse for me than if they'd just been played abysmal, abysmally again. Because it's like, oh no, this is the best they can do. And they're still getting pumped 4-0. <laughs> they're, 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 they're screwed here. Yeah, so, and I mean, from the, from you know, obviously was that, that the game. And, um, you know, and I know a lot is made from a fan perspective about leaving early and whether that's a thing. But you know, where I was sat, people were fuming, people were you know kicking off, people thought this was done. And <clears throat> I think I admitted it online at the time, but I I did leave because I was just I just didn't see any way back, and it was frustrating. And I think that was the thing you kind of thought from the fan perspective: if Warnock can't get a tune out of this, you know, then like what is this season? And to be honest, like yeah, it just looked done. And um, it, it was also the fixture list as well. Yes. That fixture yeah. list was horrendous on paper, absolutely brutal. And I think that is what that's what his masterstroke was. That he he took this thing out of it from game to game, set up differently from game to game, changed in games effectively and quickly. And yeah, you know, I, hand on heart, I was right where Steve was at one point. We they were dead and buried. They were done. As an analyst, you can only look at what's in front of you and what was in front of me was a pile of shite <laughs> but every, every year though every team has a run they have a run and you go wow the six seven games they have a run town had their run there was no run they've been had there been one game two games that's it there was going to be a run at some point and i felt the run was going to come obviously not as spectacular as it ended up in obviously 30 years since two, but i always felt there was going to be a, a well, big portion of games where that, they were going to do it on that me and Steve felt the same, but we thought the run was going to come too late. Yeah, and it wasn't being... Because, I mean, just to, again, reiterate the position they were in, they finished the last 10 games of this season, they finished better than they did last season when they reached the playoffs and finished third. It's the best last 10 games of a second-tier season the club has ever had. That, that's how good that... that what, since the since three points are a win... And that is the scale of, of the uplift that they had in the results. That, and that they basically needed, because remember at that point, 
um, Reading hadn't had the points deduction yet. Um, so it looked basically impossible. So if you say you thought they were going to stay up, you're talking shite. <laughs> and Steve gave me a nice segue there to talk about the award for the game of the season. So um, there's quite a few to pick from, mostly Warnock's <coughs> tenure, although I did chuck in the QPR game for uh, just Josh Ruffles' incredible goals. Uh, third place, it was Huddersfield Town 1, Sheffield United nil, And uh, I've got here Io Matt at McDonald's after that game, which is true. Um, so you claim that when you want. Anyway, second place, it was Watford 2, Huddersfield Town 3, 13.9%. Love that purely for the Watford goalkeeper, Backman, losing his head. Um, that was the icing on the cake I for me. I loved that game. It was that incredible. That game was brilliant. Yeah. I laughed my ass off at that game. It was amazing. It was incredible. And no surprise here. Um, and typical, the only game I missed at home this season, apart from the Norwich game, so two. Uh, Huddersfield Town 4, Middlesbrough 2, 66.3% uh, of the vote. Um, yeah, I mean, let's, let's talk about that a little bit because that was incredible, especially, you know, the first... Middlesbrough's goal was actually a really work goal and um, I didn't see that second half coming even though we knew, you know, we had the good result at Millwall. But um, yeah, just what a turnaround and um, Matt Pearson, just absolute goal machine. Yeah, I think we'd seen obviously against Millwall they'd squeezed out that 1-0 win just before that international break and they came back against Borough and you're thinking they're probably going to, if they're going to get out of this it'll be by squeezing out 1-0s. They don't have goals in them. And then they score four in, what was it, 20 minutes? Yeah. After the break. <laughs> uh, and it was, I asked, I even asked what my first question was, where did that come from? And I think he was a little bit taken aback, a little bit offended by it, but it, it was a legitimate question. Because I think they'd scored more goals in those 20 minutes than they had in the previous 10 games. Or yeah. something ridiculous like that. I played with Matty Pearson for a year at Halifax. He could not hit a bando or a banjo. And then suddenly he is Uddersfield Town's goal machine. It's absolutely, and he was the year before. Because don't forget, centre-half started with Thomas's corners. It was Lees, it was Nabizar, it was Matty Pearson. It was all Edders, 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 corners, corners, corners. And then it sort of disappeared, as did the goals. And then Matty comes, I think Matty finished second in the goal-scoring charts. He was out for six months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know it's going your way. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time, but the Huddersfield Town's fourth, where Pearson is like dinked over from Ward and he just hits it and it, you know, hits Stefan's legs, hits the post and goes in. That's when you know your luck's going for you. Um, yeah, just... Um, I, the thing is about Matty, Matty Pearson as well, is I love how crap some of his goals are. Like the first for... For Middlesbrough, where it's like it just bounces around and he like knees it in, like with this, it's just terrible. Or oh, thigh, thigh correctly there. Um, yeah, this is the insight you get from me. This is why you want to hear from them. It's just pure aggression. Yeah, that's all it is. The, I will the, kill that ball. Dave and I, both of our privately, our favorite player, both of us, is Matty Pearson. So I say this with the greatest of love. Matty Pearson is a great player, but somehow everything he does looks a bit crap. Yeah. <laughs> Even though what he's doing is actually really good. Agricultural, is that the... Yeah, that's the word. He also just, you know exactly what he's feeling at any single moment of Agri any single day. He's a cheating little bastard as well, by the way. I'll say that to you yeah. now. It's only because he's on our team and he's my mate that I'll, I'll, I can say that. But my God, the amount of diving and bullshittery that he does... On, on, a, on a pitch and I say it and I own my tongue because I am with the other team for it and I do let him off a little bit but yeah I always say if he was on the other team then I'd be running on there double footing him myself he's, he's also uh, he's also my daughter's favourite player because the first game I took her to Matty Pearson was injured and all the players were walking in and, and Bo got photos with a few of them and she got to talk to a few of them 
Matty Pearson walks in, injured, massive bag of Haribo, full fat coat, gives her a signal as she walks by and just goes and sits in the manager's dugout, gets a banana out, gets another bag of Haribo and just sits and tucks in for five minutes. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, so this is where the belief starts coming in, isn't it? This, this amazing run that we're starting to put together. We, we beat Middlesbrough 4-2. We'd previously gone to Millwall and won Watford away. And... A draw against Blackburn, which we probably scraped, I think, in fairness, even though they scored well, late Vaz, on. Vaslik man of the match, so that yeah, is a performance. Um, yeah. and this Brilliant is, on this line because he can't come off it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the part where the part where we think we can we can actually do this, and there's people now starting to come round. And then there's that 12 day break, isn't there, where we don't have a game, and a few results went a little bit. Strange, didn't they? QPR winning at Burnley. Well, anyway, I, everyone getting points off Burnley. I don't know about that, Matt, because I think one of the big... I think you, you earn your luck a little bit in football, and I think one of the things that happened in that run is that other teams were helping you out a bit. At no point did you get cut adrift. It, it, it really, the belief was coming not just from what you were doing, it was from looking round and going, yeah, well, everyone else is rubbish too here. So suddenly teams became quite catchable and I think that helped them mentally as well. Getting off the bottom of that table must... It, I mean, you'll know that as a, as a professional. It, it, that's got to change you mentally, getting off the bottom of the table finally. It, it does, and all the people that say, I never look at the table, liars. Yeah. Everyone looks at the table straight away, get your phone out, see where we are, see the results. And yeah, it does. But it, it just installed a belief of, we've just beat Middlesbrough, we've beat QPR, the... Aerial team away, uh, not keep out, so Millwall away as well, where the ball never saw the floor. So we can mix it up. Even the Norwich game in the second half, where that was a pure football match, and they, they get back in the game as well. So you start thinking, yeah, I'm not as stupid as I think here, thinking I am actually a decent player. He does know what he's talking about. We can get out of this. And you, you don't have a sense of invincibility, but every time you pull your match day boots on, you're thinking, well, we have got a chance today because. We beat them last week and they're third in the league and they're chasing Sheffield United and we, we can beat them. I don't care who's in their squad. I don't look at the Watford midfielder on 60 grand a week or anything like that. You, you're looking and thinking, well, we've beat better so we can go out and do it today. I mean, for you guys, what was the, the turning point, like the game? Because Warnock himself said it was Millwall. Um, I mean, I wasn't expecting Black to pull away because I knew he was going. <laughs> Se <laughs> second half against Norwich. Yeah. For me. I, like that was where it all started and, and I know that game finished one all and at the time we were still thinking well it probably isn't enough because you know, they hadn't had that win, they needed a win but the first half against Norwich they'd been a bit crap again and then second half they absolutely battered Norwich and were really really unlucky not to win that game at half time there, at half time when we were losing we were 8-9 points away almost yeah. drift weren't we from, yeah. from the uh, fourth bottom yeah and if they hadn't pulled that back, but again, it was the performance there. I think if you're looking for a performance, obviously then they go to Millwall and win. And I think in terms of results, that was where the turning point was. But I think for performances, it was that halftime against I, Norwich. I'm completely with Steve. I text Steve at halftime in that Norwich game because I wasn't there on the day because I had COVID. And I texted him and said, after watching that first half, I think I actually like COVID because <laughs> it, <was, laughs> it, it, it was terrible. They came out second half, they set up slightly differently and they earned their luck. And, you know, I am a big believer. You can't quantify luck. You can't quantify the run of the ball. But what I do know is if you start to try and do the right things, if you start to try and actually make a difference to people on the pitch, 
you do earn something and it was a huge slice of luck getting that equalised but I think it was just so so important really it really was the I think when you've been that far down to get a slice of luck like that and then to sort of see it out and get something from that game it wasn't three points but they got something from that game I just think that was the moment that subconsciously or consciously I think just changed things yeah, I mean, um, depends who you ask, but, you know, Cosy thought it was a great goal by Waggon. I mean, we could have won that game as well with Norwich. I think that was the thing. We had a couple yeah, of chances at the end. Battered Norwich, second half, absolutely battered. Thank you, David. And it was and the first time this season that you've actually bombarded someone. Like, that, that was the thing. Yeah. And, well, it's probably a good time for Mr. Matt Glennon to talk about the best moment of the season, because uh, there's quite a few to pick from, uh, probably in the last couple of months. So, Matt, do you want to do the honours? Uh, so it was number three, Neil Warnock return and press conference got 3.6%, beating Middlesbrough 4-2, 28 28.9%, and staying up Sheffield United and Neil Warnock's guard of honour, which I thought was slightly weird, uh, but 65.1%. Why did you think it was weird? I just found it, I, I just found, I've never seen it before, after 15 games, and it, it, it was weird and it was, a, it, was, it was good and it was bad. Because it was good that the players recognised the job that a man had done. Uh, it was bad in the sense how bad the other man had done, and you know what I mean. So the the, the two in between, I just it, it did it did feel a bit of a celebration when yes, you should be celebrating because it is a massive achievement. Everything's been against you, but when you when you're celebrating staying up in a division. It always feels a little bit. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I don't I'm not know. Sure. I, I didn't read it that way. I, I think it was purely appreciation for Warnock and, and Jeff. No, I, I agree. But it, it was a celebration, which it should be for the fans and everyone else there. But as a group of players, thinking again, a look at certain players in this squad who who did down tools during things, but also say when you're not being coached properly, you're not being set up properly. It's hard. It's I don't know. It's, it's mixed feelings. I find it when you. When you're celebrating those kinds of things, because end of the day, it was massive. They stayed up with the new owners coming in. You know what I mean? The new impetus is going to be in the club now as well. So it was huge. But you're not celebrating failure as much. But I just feel it. I don't know. It felt a bit much. I think my favourite part about that is if you watch the footage back, it's Oggy, Oggy who organises it. And the amount of organisational work he gets her in about 45 seconds to get them in a line, I thought, next time I move house, I'm calling him. Well, initially the Guard of Honour dropped a bit too deep. Yeah, it did. <laughs> <laughs> they pulled it forward again. Well, just going on that Sheffield United game, I, I was so, so nervous during that game. There was absolutely nothing happening, but because of what was at stake, I was absolutely dying in the dugout. I was so nervous, but... We'll go to the goal of the season, the seventh award, uh, and we'll get Mr. C to uh, tell us who who won that one. Like a retired submarine captain, Mr. C. Um, oh, that wasn't good. Five, two yeah. Take the microphone yeah, Move off on. In five, <laughs> the most overrated goal of the season, in my opinion, but that's uh, by the by. Joe Hungbo against Reading with 7.2%. 7. I could have had a go from 30 yards in that game, the amount of defending. That keeper was, was bad, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in four, Josh Ruffles against Borough. Uh, in three, Tino Andrian against West Brom. Number two is Josh Ruffles and his overhead kick against Queen's Park Rangers. But, of course, number one, uh, I think 
partly for the goal, mostly for the significance, is Danny Ward against Sheffield United with 34.9% of the vote. Not having it. No, you know, it, it would. Dan- Danny Ward against Birmingham. Danny Isn't Ward even against in the top Birmingham. Five? I know, not you even in the morons. top. I think that that Danny Ward against Birmingham was the one time this season that Town have really looked like playing above themselves before. And Ward who was the manager in. then? I don't. I'm not upsetting Matt again. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't the manager. He was the head coach then. Oh, he wasn't the head coach. But Steve, obviously, as a journalist, you love your narrative. Uh, as Neil Warnock said, Danny Ward is his son. Said that about 60 <laughs> times at Huddersfield Town Hall. Um, that's really fitting, isn't it, that Danny Ward got the winner. And it was a good goal. Yeah. And in my opinion, you know, I did vote Danny Ward Birmingham, but it was a good goal f- to stay up. Yeah, I, I think you can't... Look, Danny Ward this season has not been anywhere near the level he was the previous season. Uh, and I think, obviously, the injuries he's had has been a large part of that. But even the first half of the season, part of the reason they were struggling was because his finishing was nowhere near the level it had been the previous year. But come the end of the year, obviously, without him, you, you don't stay up. It's as simple as that. You know, he, he was so important. It's, it's obviously, he, I think even a half-fit Danny Ward um, does a job that no one else in that squad was capable of doing. Um, Jordan Rhodes didn't get anywhere near until the final day when they were already safe. Um, and, yeah, just a massively important player to town and obviously they're in talks at the moment hopefully that uh, that gets done because I think even if you sort of have him play in half the number of games next season I think you want Danny Ward at the club yeah and Dave um, someone who was really important in this run that we've not really talked about in great detail Josh Karama who I thought was probably the best player for town that night he um, he looked incredible and I think you said in your podcast that you'd um, you know you'd maybe let him go but obviously he's in talks but um just to have a go but I think I think you've got to remember that he's really played well for town in two spells and the first really good game he had me and Steve did the podcast after and we were talking and we were saying well he's played like that but he's playing for a contract and at the moment absolutely fine because it's town who are benefiting but I think at the moment do I think he's done enough to justify getting a whacking great new deal for two three years I, I just don't. I month, don't. Give him a month to month. <laughs> or, or bonus led, yeah. I think the problem is he needs a certain type of manager who makes him feel a certain way, a bit like Sorba Thomas, but I think to an even greater degree, if I'm honest. And you can't guarantee that at the moment. We don't know who the next Huddersfield Town manager is. We have no inside info on that. We, we genuinely don't know. And... They are all the names that have been spoken about or are in the betting are all very, very different people. So I don't think at the moment you can go and give Josh Caroma a new contract, not knowing who the manager's going to be, knowing full well three months into next season, you might have the Josh Caroma that you're thinking, well, in January, is there another Portsmouth out there who will take him for a few months? So at the moment, I think with Ward, you've got like a body of evidence where you go, do you know what? He will be. He's worth a new contract. Yeah. Whereas with Josh Caroma, I think you simply have to be a little bit black and white about it and say, do we have that body of evidence? I don't think we do. As good as he was, his highest highs are arguably higher than anybody in that squad. But is his consistency anything like a Danny Ward? No. No. I. I yeah. I. I agree with that. To put the other side, though, I mean. As you say, those those highs are so high. Those goals that he gets are 
so important to the side. I think his performance against Watford in particular, but also second half against Sheffield United, are two of the best centre-forward performances we've seen in, from Huddersfield Town for years. Yep, you, you can't, um, you can't give someone a three-year contract but, and, then only, and then only get 12 months out of somebody. That's the issue. And, that's it. and he, he won't be on peanuts with his new contract either. It'll be decent because of what he did. And the problem is it's his mentality. His mentality is not there because we saw for 18 months that he disappeared. And he did disappear. And he, he down tools and he, he didn't look fit, didn't look in shape. And then amazingly, as you say, last six months of your contract, you're the best player in the world again. And for me, that's a conscious thing, not a subconscious thing. And he's decided I need to pull my socks up because I want, I want my cash and I want a decent club. And it's shit, really. So the truth, it's not great. It's brilliant because it, it got town in the league and it's brilliant he's kept him. But with, say, Mr Nagel coming now, we don't know where he's going to be financially, what the club's going to go. But if the club's going to actually spend and back a, a manager who comes in, then you're right. There's other people out there that will give you uh, what Danny Ward gives you, which is every time he goes out, he might not be the best player in the world, but I'll tell you what, he'll, he'll give it a good go. Yeah. And uh, I think the other thing is Neil Warnock was the perfect manager to get a tune from so a player. Because he knows yeah, how to use people. To get a tune from yeah. a player who's trying to get a contract, who has got all the talent in the world and is just needed to do a specific job from week to week. He was the perfect manager. And as I said, I just cannot... I, I, listen, like I say, I thought the second half against Sheffield United, I thought he was as close to unplayable as a championship player gets. But that was 45 minutes of football. And if he had done that 25 times this season... You know what? What number do you want on this contract? Yeah, twenty-five times over two seasons would have been yeah. exactly. acceptable. Yeah. Exactly. But I fully accept that he may well go on somewhere now, and quite comfortably become arguably one of the best players in the championship. But that is that is not to say if he'd stayed at Huddersfield Town, the same thing would have happened. He, he might stay at Huddersfield Town and go on to be one of the best players in the championship. But that, that's that's the point is it's just it is there's an element of a gamble and I think if money was no object you'd say yeah keep him in the squad but it's the opportunity cost it's who else could you get for similar wages and also do you have to break because we know he was in negotiations a couple of years ago uh, last season I should say and it didn't get get anywhere um, so if they have to sort of break their wage cap and make an exception to keep him I don't think he's worth it and that was the point we were making you think some of that might have been his age though we talked about the previous season he's yeah it could be he's just a developing player yeah. uh, also to do with agents saying that we'll go on a free instead of getting a fee for and you'll get more money yeah. for yourself so I do you, want to you say have that as well which his agent does have a yeah. tendency to do yeah that is the other side of it his agent is famous as an agent who wants his players to run their contracts down and move on frees I do want to say as well Dave I wasn't necessarily criticising that because I felt you know felt like we're all ganging up on me a little bit here um we are, we are. Yeah, exactly. We are. Yeah, always the gingers, always pick on Outside. until you t- until you stand up, and then yeah, yeah, we've exactly. got no issue. But no, I mean his yeah, like you touched on his his contribution. You know, yeah. it, it kept us a contribution contribution. There we go. I thought you'd bring the conch tonight, Matt. But, okay. Anyway. I'll, Right, so I think um, the last award that we've got is the player of the season. Um, who are we saying player of the season? Any shouts? Alec, anyone else? Chris? Rudders. Alec? Rudders. Paul Rudd. Conor Mahoney. Conor Mahoney. What we'll do is wow. we'll give... That's go on, Matt, who are you saying? What? Who do you reckon? Uh, it's someone in the back line for me, so yeah, I'm, I'm Alec as well, probably. Right. You can reveal all. Who has won the Andy Takes That Chance Player of the Year? Right, number five with 3.6 of the vote is Josh Karoma. 
Number four, last year's winner, Tom Lees. No, it was no. Pierce, uh, Pierce. Nichols last year. Nichols last year, because it was 4.8. Jack Radoni, unfortunately, Rodders comes in with 9%. Matty Pearson, who played only 15 games, gets 10.2%. And the winner is Mr. Hellick with 69.3%. I can't read your writing. Oh, they'll let you the winner is Van Lepare. Yes, very good. Yeah. I did skip past that. I don't like saying his name anymore, you know that. <laughs> I have moved on, honestly. <laughs> Hello to everyone who is listening to And He Takes That Chance uh, podcast. Michal Helix here. I hope you are well. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you for all your votes and for choosing me your player of the year. It means a lot for me. So thank you once again. Uh, I wish you all the best and see you next season. Uh, fantastic. So that's that's it, really. I think for a lot of the podcasts, we, we only have left the, the role of dishonor. So at the start of the season, we all guessed didn't we the 1 to 24 I had a video to go for this but unfortunately we can't plug it into the projector but we had um, everyone here we threw, we threw it out I think 41 people guessed their 1 to 24 in the championship Matt do you want or David do you want to know if you you were the winner weren't you last year I, I, Matt, I was, was, Matt was very close as well I was the winner last year but I don't like to mention it <laughs> we can very quickly uh, run through some of the positions we did get killed though when Carlos walked out it did change things <laughs> yes, a little it did. bit it did. Right, so from uh, Andy Takes That Chance podcasters uh, and the rest that you may recognise, 28th place, uh, this is out of 41, 28th place, Ollie Fisher, 26th place, Josh Phillips, shocker, 22nd, Dan Porritt, 21st place, David Hartrick. The season was a write-off. <laughs> uh, 17th place, Stephen Chicken, uh, 16th place, Matt Glennon. 15th, Phil Senior. 40. Oh, I don't know how Phil's... kills me even more. Still <laughs> Do you know what kills you even more? He predicted Luton 18th and Coventry 20th and still came above you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've absolutely no idea. Brady Frost, 14th place. Uh, Danny Crane in 9th. Richard Kosmala in 8th place. Cosy was winning it halfway when I was calculating it. I was absolutely panic-ridden. Uh, 7th place, Johnny Gillespie, who beats his dad. 2nd uh, place, Matt Shaw. But the winner by an absolute mile was Tom Bradshaw. So that's where the real knowledge is on our podcast with uh, Tom Bradshaw, who sadly isn't here tonight. But that is it. So I'm quite happy now to roll that into a Q&A. If anybody's got any questions, uh, we can come out to you and um, feel free to ask. We, we purposely haven't discussed the takeover yet because we thought the Q&A might be yeah, sort not, of takeover. Yeah, might be a couple of questions, yeah. Yeah, so Brady does have access to the long microphone and will travel. So, Brady, if you want to uh, Annika Rice yourself into the crowd and... Uh, he's also the longest of the panel. He's got the longest so arms as well. extra length. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Right. By Hand longest, up. I mean tallest, just to confirm. Um, okay, hands up. Who wants a question? Who wants to come first? Come on, then. Remember last year when I got annoyed at you? <laughs> well, yeah, um, before I ask my question, uh, I have to make a comment... Uh, I'm an avid fan of uh, Ought to Be a Terrier. I listen religiously every week. But I have to say, when it comes to musical recommendations, <laughs> there's nobody I've ever heard of. There was some decent music in the 60s and 70s, you know. Yeah, all right. I'll, uh, I'll stick some Bowie or some Beatles or some Scott Walker or Scott anything. Walker? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely won't. <laughs> but my, my question relates more to the other podcast. Um, and he takes that chance. There was a podcast about two or three months ago 
during the dark days when we're facing doom and gloom and cause are giving up and we're looking at relegation and administration. We were on the market for about a quid, but no one could afford a quid because of the debts. The question came up about um, Dean Hoyle's legacy. And I thought it was a good question, looking back on his 12, 13 years of tenure. Would it be uh, something we look back on favourably? Or was it seen as quite negative? And somebody said, quite wisely, perhaps what will determine Dean Hoyle's legacy is what happens next in terms of succession, who buys the club. Now, it's still early days, and I think we've got a lot of faith in uh, Kevin Nagel today, but faith is all we have. But I think, from my point of view, we're here so far, I think if things work out as well as we hope they will with Nagel, then looking back on uh, this Dean Hoyle legacy, it has to be one of, of positivity for the club. What does the esteemed panel think about that? I think that's probably about right. I mean, I know, I know things have not gone terribly well the past few years, although obviously I final last year. Um, but Dean took them from League One to the Premier League, ultimately. Um, obviously, when he left the club and, and sold it to Phil, he was, they were, he was in very ill health um, and perhaps was looking to make a sale quickly um, and perhaps didn't, didn't assess things as, as thoroughly as he might otherwise have done. Um, he's then come in and effectively saved the club after Hodgkinson's uh, businesses have gone bust, um, which, you know, he's the 50%, uh, sorry, he was 25% owner. He was kind of obliged to save the club, but still did, still stepped in and, and was the safety net there. Um, and as you say, I think probably having got one sale wrong, and I think in hindsight we can say that, he, he needs to make sure he's got this one right now, uh, and time will tell. And, and if he has, I think probably in, in time that the bad years will fade and people will just remember him as the man who took you to the Premier League. Yeah, he looked the most relieved man in the world after Sheffield United. He come past me and Oggy in the stands, gave the thumbs up and you could see he looked exhausted. He just wanted it to be done. Uh, I'm not sure the deal would have fell through if they'd gone down or not. We don't know. But I, I think I, I think Mr Chicken's right. In in the years to come, he will be seen as the man at Tongue from League One to the to the Premier League and spent a hell of a lot of money on the way. There was huge mistakes, uh, especially in the second season of the Premier League. I'm not sure Dean could really be acquitted for that because it was the men picking that atrocious set of plays that they picked and he's, he, he just put his checkbook there. So I can't see him being blamed for, for that debacle in the second year of the, of the Premier League. But yeah, I think he'll be seen very fondly and I think he should be. He made mistakes. You, you bring managers in, you bring coaches in, you listen to recommendations. You don't always... You know what I mean? Realize how bad they're going to be. Injuries come along. Players sign for you who don't quite work out. But on the whole, the club is still in a good position. You know what I mean? They've got a new chairman coming in. They didn't go into administration. They didn't get dot points. They're not reading. It's it's survived. And he spent a lot of money bringing uh, Neil Warnock in as well. You know what I mean? Getting rid of the clown shoe, Fotheringham, and then bringing Warnock in. You know what I mean? That wasn't cheap either. That was something that had to be done at great expense. But it was worth it. He did it. He's kept in the division. So I think we should maybe just uh, think about saying thank you and moving on. I think in five years' time, I, th I don't think anybody will remember sort of 20 I think it, I think if Nagel gets his wallet out in about six yeah. months' time, I think everyone will be, be thinking the same <laughs> yeah. thing. But I think everyone will, will think back to Hereford away when he was, you know, buying everybody a pint in the pub, you know, singing away, you know. And I think everybody will remember the Dean Hoyle from 2008 to 2017 rather than the one that 
had to come back in uh, after the sale. And I think it, I think his time will be looked at fondly. I, I honestly don't think there's been a better owner in well, certainly not my supporting lifetime than Dean Hoyle. Um, so I think I think he's got to be looked back upon favourably, hasn't he? And I'm sure whenever he's back in Magic Rock or wherever he wants to come, I'm sure there's a pint on for him for every town fan in there. I was just, yeah. just going to say quick, because I think it's really easy where the human brain works to remember the most recent things rather than thinking back at a tenure. And I think the way I'd summarise it would be if Dino hadn't come in 2008, I don't think we'd be sat here in the Championship. I, I don't think we'd ever have got to the Premier League. I think we could have been a lot lower than League One as well. So I think it's just remembering that as a whole piece and analyse it as a whole piece rather than just what's happened over the last 24 months. I know you've got a great point as well, something else that Dean Hall has done massively well for the club as well. Yeah, I think the other the other side is away from the football pitch. Obviously, there's things like the Pedal for Pounds, the Town Foundation that he's set up. And again, I know I'm sort of pointing out the positives. I'm not pretending that there haven't been mistakes along the way and things that maybe could have been more involved in and hasn't been, etc. But... You know, I, th I think the, the work that the, the club do in the community, I think a lot of that was introduced on Dean Hall's watch as well, which yeah. I think shouldn't really go ignored. Season ticket prices have, have been kept low, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think in, you know, just touching on what you guys said there, for me, it's like with these things, it's not it's not black and white. You know, it's not like he did no. a lot of good things. He also did some bad things. I think he would look, you know, from my perspective this season, there's circumstances within that, but we should have never got to a point after getting to the playoff final where we have to bring in Neil Warnock or on a third manager of the season because that's not the sign of a good, good yeah. club in my opinion. Um, there's various reasons for that. You know, I think you touched on it with Phil. Um, in hindsight, he did mess that up, you know, like selling that. And I particularly from myself, not with everyone else, but I took umbrage when he came back in and said he was kind of like the white knight saving us from a deal he sold to himself. He's done incredible stuff. Like I never, like Johnny said, never thought we'd be in the Premier League. And overall, it is positive. And as you guys touched on, I think time, you know, is the big difference. I think we'll look back and forget all these little niggles. And it is, for me, and everyone's touched on it, it's what Kevin Nagel does now. Because, you know, although I think his tweets have been incredible, he seems like a good guy, you know, from what we said. We have no idea what he wants to do with the club. We have no idea what his plans are. You know, we, we've not really heard from him. We heard a little snippet on you know, Sacramento radio. Uh, and I think that'd be really interesting. And again, like we say, you know, time is, when time passes, we'll have a better idea. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily hinge on his, his legacy for me with Dean because he's done a lot of good stuff. But like you said, it's, it's really important with this new ownership because there's, there's a lot to sort. You know, the season is, what, July, August and still a lot up in the air. I think we were really lucky though. I mean, when Dean took over, I remember that South End game that he took over. Hal Robson Canu scored the goal for South End. He were on loan, and I remember. And he tells that story just Dean and he when he walked out there, and he thought someone's got to do something. And if he'd known what he'd have done, it, it wouldn't have been advised. But I just remember the early days at Canal Side. Every other Saturday, Dean seemed to be doing a Q and A. He were very open. I think I remember when he, you know, selling the, some of the, you know, our better players. He were always fronting up and stuff as well. And I just think when, from when he took over to where, to where it's all ended, I was just that's why I was so hopeful that we could stay up on that as well. Because to me, it's like he kind of his legacy, he's there. And obviously, some other people might have some other views, but just kind of maybe winding it on though. Where foreign ownership, we've never had a foreign owner. I'm fascinated how it's all going to work. You're going to have a, a front person. Could be a man, it could be a woman, but someone's going to be there. Obviously, Kevin Nagel's going to be direct from another country. I, I went to uh, Wigan the other week to watch the rugby. I won't mention Leeds, but I will. But 
I was chatting to some of their, a couple of fans there who spoke Wigan Athletic and they despise their foreign owner, but probably not as much of their players who, it's such a minefield, isn't it? Because oh, obviously he's, he seems a bit of a character, he's old and you speak to some, we did, I did a podcast again with Sacramento and they've never, he never said at one point that he wanted to like take over any, you know, other clubs and stuff. So it's, it's so interesting. I was so glad that he came to that last game, like you said on your podcast. But what, what do you think we're going to have to get used to as, a, as, as fans with a, a foreign owner compared to like, I don't even go back to Ken David, you know, Dean Oyle, even Barry Rubery, just like English people. What, what are we going to see different? I think there's all sorts of foreign owners. This is the thing. And I think... Same as there's all kinds of English owners. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things me and Steve talk about is... Have we seen any red flags yet? And, you know, like the only thing that's raised an eyebrow is wearing flip-flops to Marston's. So, and misspelling the, Huddersfield every other day. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at the moment, we just don't know. I think the thing is, I don't think he's going to be an absentee owner in the fashion that some foreign owners are. He is... He was very taken, I think, with the club. He was very taken when he visited. Um, he bought a little camera crew with him because he wants to document this journey. I don't know what form that's going to take, but he... Um, I think it's a YouTube thing. He's a bit old to be a YouTuber, isn't he? Um, but <laughs> he, uh, he, he's in this full bore. You know, I certainly get the impression that this is not an investment purchase. He's, he's in this because he wants to be involved. And... I think when you're talking about Dean's legacy, I think it's right to discuss it in terms of what happens next because he has tried to pass this club on once and it didn't go very well. Now, there are lots of mitigating circumstances and, and you know things we don't need to go into, but it is going to be interesting. My gut feeling on all of this is that he's going to come in, he's going to do what every foreign owner does who is sort of very invested, which is make a load of mistakes at first because they think, you know, we can do it this way and this way and this way and we, we may be, you know, if we just look at this slightly different, we'll make a big difference. And it doesn't work like that. And then what he'll do is regress to the mean, get some right people around him and learn from those mistakes. And I think if you've got an owner who learns from those mistakes, that can take you a long way. So we'll see. Do you, I, I, well, I, sorry, but it, obviously pounds and pence, it does, like you were saying, Steve, it does annoy me people like, you know, what have you got to spend and stuff. But do you think the fact that he comes across as a character will, I just think that'll appeal to like the people in Huddersfield or, you know. The, I, I, I think I can tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you something. I spoke to somebody at the club and they weren't sure what to expect from him coming over. And they made an offhand comment about when would be the next time that he would see him. And he replied, you'll be seeing an awful lot of me. So that suggests to me that somebody who has quite taken with the experience and you know it was a great day to come let's be honest it was a, a you know he couldn't have picked a better day to come but I do believe it's not going to be a case of I don't think he's going to be hands-on in the sense that he's going to be making every decision but I think he's certainly going to have a key role and he's certainly going to want to know what's going on at any given time. Yeah, I, I think it's really, I wrote a piece about this the other day, but I think it's really important he has the right advisors around him as well, because we've seen plenty of times in this division, uh, owners who have their hearts in the right place, uh, foreign or otherwise, uh, I'm just thinking of one English one in particular, who have their hearts in the right place, put loads of money in, pour in the money, try and do things the right way, but because they're listening to the wrong people, it all goes to pot anyway. 
Um, and so I think it's really important that he gets the right board in, the right backroom staff in, and that he's listening I think to the right people. Whatever level of investment he's looking at putting in, whether that's continuing what they have been or, or increasing it, whatever, he needs to be listening to the right people. The last point I wanted to make, though, just to go back to Dean Hoyle, is that the days of sort of fan ownership, having a fan who's worth enough money to be able to run a championship club, they've pretty much all but gone. You know, it's no surprise to anyone in this room that I quite like Brighton and Hove Albion. And we have Tony Bloom. Sorry, they have Tony Bloom. Uh, and he is a fan first and foremost. When he goes, it'll be a very sad day. And that's what I think with Dean Hoyle going, take everything else out of it. I don't think you'll ever have a sort of died-in-the-wall Huddersfield Town fan own Huddersfield Town again. And that is quite a momentous thing when you think about it. I think um, just the thing I would add in terms of Nagel is when we spoke to uh, Alicia Rodriguez, who covers Sacramento Republic, you know, she knew a little bit about him as an ownership. And the thing that really stood out to me was she said, you know, he, he wants to get involved, but he picks, he trusts people and picks the right people to do their jobs and leaves them to it. And I think you talk, you know, we touched on ownership here and that's, that's the thing you want to hear. You don't want someone like a Todd Bowley, for example, at Chelsea who's going to come in, although spend a lot of money and be director of football himself yeah, and try and do swaps so, you know, and all sorts. So I think that that is encouraging. And like you said, there is there is no red flags. But um, we've, think we've, been man- we've been talking between ourselves for a little we while. Should, yeah, we should, yeah. want to open to the floor? Sorry. Uh, anyone else like to ask a question? Who wants to come forward? Come on then, in the flat cap. Come on. You can come to me. Do you want to meet me halfway? I don't think it's that long. Come on, I don't bite. And I'm not as pissed this time, so there you go. Yeah, it does look good. <laughs> I am. <laughs> uh, it's a double-edged question, first of all, to the audience, really, because I've heard the great Matthew Glennon talk about fathers, and who would be willing to put £10 in a pot for a white-collar boxing match between <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Glennon and Forringham? Any takers? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Matt's willing to put in much more than a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> He'll buy the gloves, yeah. Uh, all the talk of managers tonight have just made me reminisce a bit, really. And if anyone could put uh, the worst managers in the last ten years, where would where where would we find ourselves in what we've had in this last season? Really, I mean, three managers. Obviously, one legend in, in Warner, but Schofield's just recently been sat by Doncaster, and we all know what everyone thinks about uh, Fovers. Uh, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? It's always completely contextual, and like people always trot out the win percentages and points per game, things like that, but they're kind of irrelevant. You often get in those lists that managers who've done really well are in the middle of the list because they've got promoted, and then it's harder to get points in the division above, funnily enough. Um, I think Fotheringham will be very not fondly remembered. <laughs> I think Danny, Danny, I think everyone sort of gives him the benefit of the doubt because everyone understands he was in kind of an impossible situation. It wasn't the right move at the time and Matt's spoken about the, the difficulties he had as well behind the scenes, but um, I don't think anyone's sort of attaching any blame to Danny because we all know what happened with, in pre-season. But I think Fotheringham will be remembered very, very dimly. Not Again, points per game... <laughs> Uh, over a whole season keeps town up actually because I think he had just over a point per game but the football was absolutely abysmal <laughs> yeah I, 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 
I, it's not just because I'm very scared of Matt Glennon, but I wouldn't have Danny <laughs> Schofield anywhere near that worst list because he was on a hiding to nothing the minute he got the job. And that's that's not just us saying that. He genuinely was. There was a lot went on and he never really had a chance. And whereas Mark Fotheringham, I think it was slightly weird that he got appointed and the club didn't let him bring in anybody beside him. I think Well, I don't think he had any Miller. friends. I don't think I don't think he had <laughs> Well, no, but he's never he's never had a, a crew, so it's yeah, like, it must Miller, be very hard to yeah, then go and start picking people because he didn't even know Miller. He only met him on a coaching course. They weren't even friends, yeah. so it's like you've not got the experience of saying, right, I'm, there's my goalkeeper coach, there's my first team coach, there's my tactical coach, and when you've not because he got thrown in so quickly. Because I, so I, I I spoke to an agent and who spoke to him, and he was going for a development job, and next thing he's Huddersfield Town's manager in the in the Championship, so. I don't know if he was not allowed to or the fact of he didn't have but I, the people I, to draw upon. But the thing is then, if that's the case, you can't then spend every press conference telling us about all these people you know and well, reputation was coming and, and all of this sort of thing, if that's the case. And I think, yeah, I think Fotheringham is, is he's either, depending on how you look at it, he's either well down there or well up there. Jan Siebert as well. That wasn't that long ago. Um, any anything? I think yeah, Fotheringham is is well up there. Um, but I but think circum- circumstances as well, budgets, players you've got, money available. You know what I mean? Division that you're in as well, because obviously the the, the second of the Premiership with David Wagner deciding to use wingers, then he brings in the players he brings in. It doesn't go well. Reverts back to his old style of play. Doesn't go well. He's a legend of the club for what he did, and it, that that'll never change. But there was still an era where you thought. What's he doing? You know, who's he brought in? Because he had full control of the players he brought into the the club as well. So I think everyone's got. You know what I mean? There's some with some mass, massive highs, some with some lows attached to it, and some that were just shy. Some of them, some of them got really good win rate, like you said. Yeah, really well, I was about to say one of what, what, go, then, going on uh, the stats. One of the well, best managers they've ever had is Lee Clark, Clark Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, League One without but, budget, I, I'm but, not. I'm not overly shocked. But, but no you, one's gonna. But he yeah. could never get him promoted. So yeah. it's meaningless. It is, and when you've got Kevin Kilban on twenty thousand pound a week yeah. in League One, he, he then, had a high win percentage because yeah. he never got them promoted and had several years in League One where he should have had one. And you, and you so. look at sort of the the impact some of the managers have had off the field as well. And you look in particular at Andy Ritchie and Chris Powell, and fans were just leaving in droves because of how boring and how dull life was around the football club. But they've got decent records when you look at it on paper. But, but then, then it's, it's, it's budget. The it's budgets just, again, isn't it? It's budgets. It's players coming in. I remember. Peter Jackson saying to me, Matt, we can't even sign a loan player. We can't even bring anyone in. They're bringing all the youth team players in, who not bad players in the time, but they were never gonna they were never gonna kick the club on. But when you've not got, say, a budget or anyone to to, to come in that quality to come in and help you, you yeah, it is. It's it, it's tough. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, next question. Hands up. Anyone who wants to answer a question? Ask it, Chris. Go on then, Chris. I, I've seen recently. Uh, you know, Warnock is, I've seen, oh, how do I word it? You know, Alan Nixon, the journalist, I've seen on the Twitter that when Kevin Nagel takes over, he's going to try and persuade Neil Warnock to come back. Do you think we should? I don't think so. I think we should just leave him as he is and re- remember <laughs> for what he achieved. I, I, I'm not sure if I want to believe that report, really. I, yeah, I think if you were... I'm not sure that report particularly adds anything. Because, like, 
the thing is you'd be if you were Kevin Nagel and you spent the last you know bear in mind that Warwick was manager when he when the takeover was announced and most of and he will have seen as well through the talks what it was like under Fotheringham then what it was like under Warnock and everything like that he would be daft not to look at that and go well I'll at least ask if he wants to stay but I think Warnock's been very very clear that he he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to work full time at this stage of his career. And who can blame him? You know, he's he's had forty three years of management, um, and he says he hates the motorways, he hates the hotels. He just want to work, wants to work ten to twelve weeks a year, and and fair play. So I, I would be surprised if that turned into anything. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they at least asked him and say, "You sure?" I, I don't think he's physically capable of doing a full season. Uh, I'm I'm not doing him down when I say that. I think there's a reason he wants to work three months a year at the moment, and that's he's completely earned that. And I think when he pops up in, in probably Plymouth in February and does the same thing again, I think absolutely fair enough. I think it's a lovely story and it's a lovely narrative to say one more year, etc. But yeah, I I think well, he puts his heart and soul into it. You can exactly. see the energy expels. That grimace between him and Ronnie. I don't think he's ever smiled at Ronnie. You know what I mean? Them two are just looking at each other and, and, and having a right pop. And it's brilliant to watch. But 74 years old for a man, you know what I mean, of that age and the enthusiasm and the, the care. Because we, we have this stupid comment of young and hungry. Like I said before, I'm middle-aged and starving. You know what I mean? You always, wanna, you always want to do your best. You're either a character who does or a character who doesn't. He does. So that's why he expels so much energy and... And no, I think it would be too much, like Dave says. Can I send a quick question on to that? Um, can we talk before about whoever does come in afterwards, whoever this next manager is, he's kind of the man after the man, which is always a bit of a tough gig. Um, we've seen a few, well, actually historically, we've not been great at appointing the man after the man. But this isn't necessarily my opinion, but do you think there's potential for Warnock to kind of, he's been talked around being in an advisory role or kind of a director of, not director of football or something like Do you think that works or do you think it's just a clean cut? I think the part of the problem is, though, it's he's such a huge figure yeah and whoever's in the dugout for town has got to be his own man and it is a horrendous job to replace neil warnock but look at the position you're in because of neil warnock he's got to try and just take it on as as far as he can and i think as i said i think the new ownership will make mistakes i've no idea who the manager will be we'll wait and see but it, just having Neil Warnock in the stand looking down over you as you're 2-0 down at home because you're trying to change the way the team's playing, etc. I just don't think that's a great situation to be in. I would always have him on the end of the phone, you know, and Neil Warnock, I'm sure, will pick up the phone to anyone at Huddersfield Town who rings him for some advice. But having some sort of official role and having him turn up at games, I just, nah, I don't, I don't think it's where the club needs to be going forward. It's Ferguson watching Moyes from the stands, isn't it? Like like Emperor Palpatine sitting up there. But um, yeah, like I mean, well, I can tell you the club really, when, do you remember right at the start of the season, uh, the only game Danny won, in fact, against Stoke, uh, Warnock was at that game, just came back as a guest, I think, to promote his tour. And the club were really careful around that, their media team, to be like, he's here for the tour. <laughs> like they were really keen to stress, he is here for the tour. Because um, they didn't want the rumours at that point, and that was before he'd even come back and had that run. Yeah. So imagine what it would be like yeah. next season. David Wagner came the week after. That was yeah, and then Wagner came the week after. Yeah. I think I think what surprised me was the national loving for Warnock. I I thought he were Marmite, and maybe he still is in some parts. But I were really amazed with the publicity that we got. The love, honestly, I work with a lot of Leeds fans, and they 
they they loved it because I think the managers now at Pep Guardiola, yeah, he mentioned him and that as well. And it, I just, I was quite surprised with that. But then it's it's almost like I think there's that many coaches say a lot without saying anything. I think someone who wears the heart on the sleeve, although thankfully Big Sam's proved that doesn't always work, you know, uh, that kind of approach. But There's no one above him in football. No, no one above Big it is. Sam. Honestly, I, it, I, I have a feeling say, everyone will want us to do it. Yeah. Say what you want, there's no one above Big Sam in football. He said it himself. <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing with the being laid back and being chilled out and things like that, and we've said this on the podcast several times, but... Warnock can say things that no other manager like. Imagine some of the. St- imagine bothering him saying, oh, "If we lose, unless we lose six 0 to Burnley, I'm not bothered." Imagine the slating he'd get. But Warnock can do it, and people just think it's funny because uh, it is. Yeah, the and, Ma- and Matty Pearson. And he just has stick. that. He just has that goodwill. Yeah, bringing up West Brom how many times? Or give, yeah. bringing up Kellick, giving it that goal away against Coventry. No other manager can do that. He'd be like, oh, they're burying him. They're throwing him under the bus. But Warnock can do it because every, you know, he's, he's got that goodwill in the bank and everyone just takes it as, uh, as it's meant. Lovely stuff. So um, I think this place shuts in five minutes. So we've got time to get in a few more questions. So hands up. Anyone want to chat to me? Ask a question? Maybe yeah, one you. more, I think, Brady, the way that one more? <laughs> the okay. way we're going on answering these. Hi, so given we're not going to have a Warnock-Jepson partnership, who was pundit? Would you pick his manager? David. <laughs> Question. There, there's a young man at, at Barnsley, Michael Duff, who I think is extremely interesting. I was talking, I was talking to somebody the other day who has played them very recently, uh, and he said he has never seen a team better coached off the ball outside of the Premier League, and. The way he sets them up, the way he makes changes in games, the way he utilises certain players. He's, he's not working with diamonds there. That's, it's, not, it's not a great squad. He's not got a, you know, a load of superstars. John Russell's in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John Russell's, John not, Russell's in it, not in which it, Which yeah. proves what a good manager he is. Dave, how big uh, Monday's game is? Barnsley win or do you think it's not going to make any difference if we wanted him we could get him out well, of Barnsley I, I, get think, up? I think that's what it comes down to I think if, if Barnsley go up I think there's an element where he's probably not gettable straight away but I think if if they don't go up I think he's one I, look Stephen Schumacher is the obvious one at Plymouth but he's not gettable You're not getting he's him, not gettable I think if Town could get him they would get him tomorrow because he's brilliant but Town aren't the only ones who think that. That's the problem. So if he was available, it'd be a bit of a bun fight. But I think, for me, I'd be looking at Michael Duff, and I'd, if, if they don't go up, I'd be very interested. Very interested. I think even if they do go up, I think there's questions about how much investment Barnsley could make, etc. Um, so it could be a bit of a, a poor one at Rotherham situation where he even went down a league, and, and obviously he wouldn't even need to do that. So... Yeah, I'm in the Duff camp as well, so um, quite often, more, more than not, yeah. load of old Duffers here, aren't we? <laughs> what about Ian Everett? Oh, is that, has his stock fallen with uh, Friday's result? I think, just unquestionably football-wise, you have to admire the job that, that Ian Everett has done um, at Bournemouth. I think that's how I'd put it. What did I say? What did I say? Bournemouth? <laughs> Bolton, sorry. Yeah, football-wise, I think you have to, to admire it. Cool. Um, I think we'll probably end it there unless anyone's got a quick question. No? You'll probably want to go and stop listening to us. Okay. Um, 
well, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, thank, thank you so thank much you, for coming. Yeah, thank you to everyone for coming. Um, you know, and we'll be back next season. Hopefully we'll have some more interesting things to talk about, exciting time at town. But yeah, no, thank you all for coming. Thanks for listening throughout the season and uh, up the town. Yeah, and if you have any more questions... There's a team that is dear to its followers The colours are bright, blue and white They're a team of renown They're the pride of the town And the game of football is their delight And all while upon the field of play Thousands loudly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say Who can beat the town today And then the bells will ring so merrily Every goal shall be a memory So town play up And bring that cup Back to Huddersfield So town play up And bring the cup Back to The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via muck delivery afterwards. Three points, nut nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.